Hi, and welcome to and are back to the Jet Reel Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this week I am once again continuing on answering your questions that you have sent to me over um, email and over Instagram DM, so I am just going to get on with it. I think we have about 12 or 13 questions. Um, Some of them are rather long, so this is probably going to be another really long episode, but I am really excited to get into it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. A lot of these are really good questions, and uh, yeah, let's jump into it. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, guys, we are back. Let us get into the material. First of all, um, before we get into the material, um, I do want to say that I would really appreciate those of you that are sending um, emails if um, you might wait, if, if you can. I understand if it's a pressing situation and you need an answer now or that week, then I'll probably get to your question. But otherwise, um, maybe take a scroll through the episodes and um, read the descriptions and see if any of those things might apply to your situation because I'm getting a lot of really similar questions. Um, or like in the case of a, a horse that has a phobia of fly spray, Um, I think that I have another question that I'm going to go ahead and answer, um, today about, um, bathing and like water and being afraid of the water hose. Um, but those are very similar problems and can be solved in similar ways. Um, so try and think outside the box a little bit and think about how, um, the examples that we're talking about can apply to your situation or your problems. Um, positive reinforcement is pretty straightforward, Um, once you really understand what's going on. And I hope that these podcasts are helping with that and giving you a bunch of, um, you know, potential situations where you can work through a bunch of different issues and giving you ideas for how to tackle these things. Because a lot of the questions that you guys ask, um, I haven't been confronted with. Um, A lot of them I have, but a lot I haven't. But just using the principles, I could at least theorize how I would work out a situation. So I encourage you all to do that as well. That said, I don't want to discourage anybody from reaching out to me. I would love to help and answer your questions and um, that sort of thing. I will go ahead and say that I'm starting to get a lot of emails. And if that keeps going, I think that we might move to Patreon. Um, And that way, 
that would sort of limit um, the amount of people that can ask, answer, I mean, God, ask questions. Um, and I know that sounds like really weird and selfish and you're like, why would you do that? But that way you're paying $5 for me to answer your question. And then the people that are like willing, um, get their questions, get priority. And that way it helps me out a little bit. Um, so I don't, like, it's so tricky to tackle, but what I'm doing right now is obviously pretty pro bono outside of the um, the sponsorship opportunities, but it would be nice um, because I am offering training advice and addressing specific questions, so it would be nice if um, there was a little bit more in it because, I mean, it is, like, several hours out of my day and not that I am the special know-all end all but it I think the compensation would be fair and at the lowest tier on Patreon is five dollars so I just want to let everyone know that within the next year that may be a move that I'm making again I don't want to discourage anybody for reaching out and or from reaching out and with Patreon you can make a five dollar payment send me an email and cancel your subscription if you want or you could keep it or you could have a bigger subscription or whatever and help support me because I am in college I do struggle currently. I have no things in my um, <laughs> in my pantry because um, I don't necessarily get a fabulous response from my parents when I ask for help. So, um, and that's okay. I understand. I'm 21, going on 22. I should be able to pay for myself, but I'm still in school and I work with horses, and we all know that that makes no money. So, um, yeah. So I think looking for an alternative source. Also, I'm trying to uh, add a little baby pony to my little horse herd, um, Azula, which I've talked at great length about on my Instagram. Um, but she is a little filly that we got. She's five months old and, um, my boss, Sunny owns her, but, um, she's going to race her. And I have just been raving about her and told her how much I love her and that I would really like her after she's done racing when I could hopefully afford her. And Sunny was like, yeah, I mean, hopefully by then you'll have a job and you'll be able to, and you can, you can take her. And I was like, okay, sweet. Um, so no claiming races for Mrs. Zula, but, um, that does mean I need some money. And I really hope that I'm not coming across as like selfish or greedy that I'm like, maybe let's move to Patreon, but I'm getting like, like 10 to 20 questions a week. And it's a lot to deal with. It takes a lot of time to organize it all, see who wants to be anonymous, who doesn't, what questions can be read on the podcast, which ones can't. And um, also answering the ones that don't want to be on the podcast take a long time. So it would just be easier if that was on Patreon um, and it would make me feel like it's a little bit more worth my time. Not that I don't enjoy answering people's questions. It gives me something to talk about on my podcast, but I, th- I feel like it could be a little a little fair. Some, there, there is a little bit of a, um, a labor imbalance, I think. I don't know. You guys tell me if that's unfair, if you're totally opposed. Um, the podcast would still be available for free. It would just be like, if you want to ask a question and have me answer it or give you training advice via email or, um, podcast, you would just need to do that through Patreon and it would just be $5. So, I mean, I don't think that's ridiculous. I would lower it if I could, but I cannot, um, the lowest you can go on Patreon is $5. So I'm thinking about that. I'm looking into logistics and seeing how I want to um, work that out. But for now, we're going to keep doing it this way. I hope that does not encourage like a, everyone is like, okay, I gotta get my question out now. Um, but I don't know. I feel, I feel guilty, um, truthfully, because I'm like, I know some people, you know, won't be able to pay the $5 or won't want to, but still want help with their horses. And I'm hoping that if that is your situation, then me talking about other people's experiences will at least give you some ideas and help you in that way. 
Um, but I'm just getting kind of to a point in my life where my time is like really, really condensed. Um, for instance, I'm pursuing my master's degree, which is a lot of work, um, like many, many hours out of my day. I'm actually taking a break from it. I've been working on it for about four hours today and I'm taking a break to do this and then I'm going to go right back to it when I get done. Then I am working for me and Zoe's muscle therapist. (laughs) Um, and I am doing all of her social media, like I'm talking website, podcast, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, like the whole nine yards, setting it all up, like designing it, everything. Um, And I'll probably be doing a lot of the editing work for that as well. Um, But I'm getting comped for that, so that's nice. Um, And then I have all the horses to work with, Azula, Dexter, Astro, Sterling, Lexi, and Zoe, and that's not counting Juno or the two that are about to come home off the track, Rock and Shoes and Icon Who. Um, and then I also need to organize our tack room. I never finished with that. I've got to worm all the horses and I would really like to clean Zoe's shelter because I don't think it's ever been cleaned. Um, and it's not too bad, but like all the poop that's in there is pretty much disintegrated into dirt, but I still would like to clean it. It's kind of gross. Um, and then, you know, I've got the podcast. I have my YouTube. I have a documentary that I did an interview for and I have to edit that footage. I have to send it to them, compile all this footage of me working with the horses um, I got Instagram. I am doing online courses for horse training to improve my education when I can. Um, and then I've got just endless appointments like chiropractic and massage therapy. And, um, I, I'm broke out or broken out at worse than I ever have been in my life. Like my face hurts so bad. There's so much acne on it. And, um, a lot of them just haven't come to a head yet and they're just bumps and it does not feel good. (laughs) Um, so I have to go deal with that. And I've been to the dermatologist. So like, my point is I have a lot going on and that's not even like brand emails and stuff that I have to do. Like, it's so much all the time. So I'm, I really hope that I'm not just like wasting your time over explaining this, but I really want to get across why I might be wanting to do Patreon because it's just getting to a point where there's so much for me to answer and I really want to help everybody, but I cannot help as many people as there are in the world. Like it's just, it breaks my heart because that's what I want to be able to do. That's what this podcast is for. It's for me to share, make things relatable, maybe get some people thinking about new ideas, positive reinforcement, life things, like all of that. That's all what I want to do, but I can't, the reality is I can't help everybody. And that's why I have 30 unread DMs on, um, Jet Equithery, which is surprising. It's normally a lot more, but I, um, try to keep up with them and keep it under 50 or so. Um, but yeah, and then that's all the other accounts have DMs too, and people that want answers and it's, it's so much. And I love that, you know, I am given a position where people value my opinion and it's, it's incredible, but at the same time, it's like, okay, there needs to be some system of priority and I hate to make it just the people that can afford it. But, um, you know, I don't know, hopefully, hopefully the podcast will be something that even if you can't get your exact specific direct question answered, um, you'll be able to at least apply it. That's how I work with, um, a lot of the horse podcasts. I don't think I've ever written in a question. I've always just like taken the basic principles or they've given me an idea or a way to work with it, or they end up talking about my situation without me having to ask it. So anyway, that's 10 minutes of a little heads up that might be happening. I hope you guys can understand and don't think I'm too green monster. Um, I'm really trying not to be, and this is very difficult for me to talk about because money is a weird thing, especially in the South. You're supposed to be polite. You cannot ask for money. It's not allowed. Anyway, drink of water. Um, 
Also, I finally have a desk to work at, which is pretty great. I don't have to sit uncomfortably on my couch and hold the microphone. Um, but my chair is currently too tall, so I'm having to, like, lean down to talk into my mic. Um, uh, so I apologize if I'm a little bit inconsistent. I will likely forget soon. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, let's get into these questions. Finally, am I right? Now I'm going to answer your questions. So sorry if all of that was very annoying and you're like, oh, my God, you'll get to the point. So first question. From an anonymous listener, I have a horse who's very scared of water. This is a question I was talking about. Um, he will tolerate it if I hold the lead rope and spray his front legs and chest, but that's pretty much it. He has a habit of pulling back if he is scared when tied, so I don't tie him when I hose him off. When I try to get to his back end, he just pulls back or goes in a circle around me. How do I get him not so afraid of water? So I think lesson, or lesson, lol, episode 22 or 21 was where I talked about this specifically, um, or fly spray. <laughs> God, I'm so all over the place. So sorry. When I talked about fly spray specifically, um, it's pretty much the same situation. Um, water can be a little bit, well, I don't know which is scarier. I guess it's really up to the horse because fly spray just comes out of nowhere, but at least water, it's happening the whole time. So what I would do is if your horse won't tie, um, I would start, cause I just like to start getting them in the training zone. Um, so I wouldn't start with the the water, but you you can, obviously. I just think it's a little bit easier if the horse already has manners around food and kind of understands that his um, behavior has consequences, not in the bad way where it's like, oh my God, you must face the consequences of your actions. You will get beaten. But in the way that like, if he does something, something will happen after. And that's positive reinforcement. You know, the good thing will happen. Let's reinforce his behavior, blah, blah, blah. So, um... I would start out by making sure that the horse knows how to behave around food. That way um, you won't have to tie um, so you can feel comfortable having him on a lead rope or at liberty with him and he won't be all over you. Um, So I would teach manners first and that goes for teaching any behavior with horses. I would stress before you go into any problem areas. It doesn't take long. If you do it right, it takes maybe one or three sessions like in that range. So, um, I would recommend teaching that first and then, um, making sure your horse knows that like you're looking for something. Um, so what I would do after you get manners down to where the horse is not all over you. And if you don't know how to do that, um, you can go to my website, which is jetequitheory.com and you can go to the, um, I believe it's titled plus R help. And, um, in there is a resources tab. I also have a blog. Um, all of that is like, I think there's a blog post called how to get started with positive reinforcement and it lists step-by-step how to go through that. And I also have a video attached to it and I have a whole playlist on YouTube. Just go to my website and you'll find everything you need there. I feel like a lot of people don't know that I have a website. It's jetequitheory.com. Um, anyway, so get started, make sure the horse knows how to behave around food in a way that you find acceptable for me that is my horse having their head away from me when I when I click or when I um have a like a bum bag or a fanny pack um that way they're just not like all over you and then after you go through that sort of um training then I would um hold the horse because he has a problem with cross ties right now so I would just either have a halter and lead rope on him or have him at liberty. Um, but if you do have the halter and lead rope, you're not going to want to restrict him. Um, I would only do that in a case of, um, like if the, if the, there's no hose in his paddock or something. So, um, 
yeah, I would just, I would have him on a halter and lead rope if the wash rack or whatever is not, like, if he doesn't have a hose in his paddock. A lot of our paddocks here have hoses in them. That's when I would do it at Liberty. But um, if if the horse is afraid and starts resisting, he needs to be able to get away. Otherwise, you're just going to accelerate or heighten his anxiety. So um, if he starts backing up or freaks out a little bit, you're not going to want to, like, pull on him or correct him or try and make him stand with the lead rope. That'll work against you. And obviously don't, you know, use common sense. Don't just let go of the leader open, let him run away or, um, you know, leave entirely. But, you know, you can take breaks. And if he is getting really overworked and overwhelmed, um, you need to go down a step and um, make sure that he's comfortable and he's not getting overexcited in any of these um, circumstances. But um, what I would do is I would have him on the lead rope if it is in a wash rack situation and I would just click him for standing near it. Just standing. You want him all four on the floor standing. And click and treat, 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 over and over and over and over again. And you want to make it a really good behavior for him to stand still. Then after that, you can maybe hold the hose. Click and treat, click and treat, click and treat, click and treat, click and treat. Nowhere near him. You're not touching him with it. Nothing. You're just holding the hose. And um, nothing is changed. So what's really important to remember with clicker training is you only want to change one thing at a time. Don't change the environment. Don't change the tack or the equipment or anything. If you're going to introduce a new thing, like, ah, that the horse is potentially scared of, like I am of this bug that just entered my house. Why are you here? Hold on. Have to address the bug. Okay, just kidding. I tried to catch him so I could release him outside, but my cat ate him. Apologize, the moment of silence for the bug. Anyway, as I was saying about the horse, so you're only going to want to introduce one thing at a time. So if you're really working on fly spray or um, making the hose not a scary thing, you don't want to go changing a bunch of things. You want to focus on that one thing, change one thing at a time. So don't go from, oh, my horse is standing still to spraying his entire body with water. Use common sense, work logically, and break the behavior down. So something good you might want to do before you go at this is to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and break it down. Start at your goal behavior. Your goal is to, um, you know, be able to hose him off. You want to hose him off while your horse is standing still. Focus on the behavior. What you want is your horse standing still while you are hosing off every part of his body. So then you're going to have to break that down. So the beginning step is the horse knows how to stand still. So that's what you want to do. That would be the easiest thing for me to focus on. Um, And, you know, if the horse doesn't want to enter the cross ties area or the wash rack area, um, you might have to back up even further than that. Like the horse needs to go near the cross tie area, that sort of thing. Um, So break it down all the way to something where your horse is really successful at. Like he can just stand there. He's good. You know, if he's good at that. So then you're going to reward for that, make it a really good behavior, and then introduce one thing at a time. So I would work from standing to standing with human holding the hose, and then the horse is standing while, um, you know, you maybe move to his hind end. You're going to have to watch your body language because you might not want to, like, walk head on to his hind end because... depending on how the horse has been trained, sometimes that means to move your haunches away, which is why I really don't like things like Pirelli, where um, everything you do is pretty much chasing the horse away from you. Um, I know they have some things where they, like, don't do that, but a lot of it is sending the horse away, especially, like, there's um, the hide your haunches game or whatever, um, and that is, <laughs> I don't like that, because <laughs> then your horse is, like, 
hiding their hind end all the time and thinking that you're coming at them predatorily. So I prefer to, um, you know, like, especially if your horse has been trained like that, you might just like walk to them kind of with your like shoulder to them, not looking directly at their hind end, that sort of thing. Be really aware of your body language. And then you can just like kind of walk around them, get them used to having the hose around them and just keep clicking and treating. The criteria <clears throat> for the horse is just to stand still. And if you get to an area where the horse moves or he takes a step, you're going to back up to the area where he was comfortable before and then really click and treat and then try again moving into that area. And if he stands, click immediately. Click as fast as you can because you really want the horse to be successful. You don't want to wait and accidentally push him past his limit to where he's like, okay, what are we doing now? What are you doing? Or he gets nervous, um, or impatient. Um, those things can really work against you unless you've worked on duration training with your horse. So, um, yeah, anyway, then, um, you can just slowly move up. Um, like I said, with the fly spray, you know, standing as like at, maybe at the end of your lead rope and then your hose is as far out in the other hand as it can be. You turn it on to a little drizzle and then um, you can slowly decrease the distance between you and your horse. And um, you're going to click and treat each time. And, you know, if you're really far away from your horse, you may have to turn the hose off each time um, to go give them a treat. But this horse is going to be the best horse at getting hosed off. You think he's bad, but honestly, it just comes from a fear and a misunderstanding. He doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe it's too cold. Maybe it's scary. Blah, blah, blah endless reasons. The point is you can have a horse that's really confident around water because imagine a horse that doesn't really like water and you just force him to take baths every time and you just get through the whole thing. But imagine a horse who has worked through and is confident with each step. How many times have you walked towards him with the hose? You know, like, I mean, if you're at the end of your lead rope and you turn on the water and the horse stands, you click and treat, turn off the water, walk over to him, give him the treat. I meant click and then walk, turn it off and then walk over and give him the treat. And then how many times are you coming to the horse with the hose? And he's getting more and more comfortable each time you do that. So then um, you can gradually start decreasing the distance. You're getting closer to your horse with it drizzling. Um, something that might be easier in this situation is to have like a nozzle that has a handle on it so you can like control when it's on and when it's not. So you don't have to walk over to the hose the entire time and like turn it on and off. Cause ours, like we have like a lift handle or a spin handle, but having like a nozzle on the end that you can control so you don't have to walk <laughs> all over the place for it might be a little bit easier. Um, so then gradually, um, you're getting closer and closer to your horse and maybe you have it at a light drizzle and you're standing right next to him and he's standing and you're so proud and you're giving him treats and you're clicking and telling him what a good boy he is. And then you can maybe touch a foot and then click and treat and then move up his leg and then click and treat. But you really want to make sure you're not going too fast because if the horse starts wiggling or moving or, you know, his ears go back or his eyes get all like where you can see the whites and he's clearly getting worried, um, anything like that, you need to back up and take it slower because you want to build his confidence. Don't treat it like, oh my God, it's just water, horse, get over it. How many baths have you had? You're being such a drama queen. Don't treat it like that because y good luck solving your problem. Y if anything, you're just going to create more anxiety and distrust in your horse and they're never going to get over that situation unless you beat them into it. So, um, I would really recommend being slow, patient, working up to it. I've had to do this with several horses. I had to do it with Zoe for fly spray. Zoe was the same way with baths. 
And for her, it was just as simple as when she's standing in the cross ties, I clicked and treated the entire time. Like when I was tacking up, anytime I was brushing her, blah, blah, blah. She's just getting rewarded for standing still because I want to tell her that that is the behavior I want. She used to be so bad in the cross ties. And then it just sort of translated to um, being hosed off. Um, She wasn't really afraid necessarily. She would just move a lot. Um, But now, you know, she only really moves when I change sides. She'll just like swing her hind end over. Um, So not completely fixed, but um, a lot better than it used to be. So I hope that answers that question. And then I think in the last episode, um, either the most recent one or the one prior, I answered cross ties. So you can refer to that for how to fix the cross tie situation. And eventually you can work up to tying as well. Um, but I would address those issues separately. I would not try to fix cross tying while you're also working on the water. I would do them separately. Okay. Next question from another anonymous listener. Um, I'm really lucky to have an amazing trainer who works with horses so naturally and whose focus is on building both the horse and rider from the ground up, no rushing, forcing them to do anything, whose opinions and beliefs align with my own. I've never really gone the traditional way of training and look at my horses and I've never had an issue voicing these opinions in relation to my horses before. First of all, congrats. That is not an easy thing to do, to be able to just, like, advocate for your horse easily. That's that's difficult, so mad props. Uh, continuing here. This email is a little bit long, by the way. Just a heads up, everyone. Um, that being said, where I stable my horses, they are very much um, more traditional. I only ever looked after my horses myself, but going into my final year of university, I moved my horses to a full... Uh, to f- full livery at stables who uh, are at my or closer to the university. Um, for those that don't know, I'm assuming from the context clues, livery is like full board, like people are riding and working and exercising the horse for you and uh, feeding, taking care of them, that sort of thing. Um, the staff are wonderful. However, since being there, I've really wanted to start or I've started to doubt my own knowledge of horses. I've owned horses for the past 10 years and have done much of it all on my own with the help of professionals I have trusted. When I ask them to do anything or change anything, I feel like I need to justify it. If they don't agree, I just give in, even if my gut instinct and my own knowledge is saying otherwise. I love the staff and they are brilliant with my horses, but I don't know how to get my confidence back without doubting my own knowledge or with not doubting, yeah. One of the girls there has been riding my new horse while I couldn't. Some issues have come up and now we know is poor saddle fitting and not being uh, 100%. Um, I'm waiting on blood tests to see if uh, he's deficient in anything. Checked for ulcers. He's a stressy horse when being ridden. So caused him to go a bit insane when she was riding him as I can be quite nervous and I didn't want to make him more upset when riding. However, now I am done with university and have had time to talk to my trainer and have her come out to meet him and do my readings without stress of university clouding my judgment and I want to take or to change things to help with the issues we've been having. One being he switches off when doing work, which we think is a coping mechanism for him when he feels overwhelmed. One way we want to try to sort that is to stop riding him and build his confidence and top line from the ground up, which is what I've always done with my horses, but I've been told that this is a bad idea as he'll be insane and he's not the type of horse that can have long times off riding. If you want to ride him, or and you won't ride him when you get back to it, which may be true, and having her ride him still feels like the wrong thing to do. Um, okay, there's not much, 
not much left here, so I'm going to go ahead and read it all, and then I'll answer. Um, I've been working with him in, in hand and taking him for walks up hills and down hills um, to work on his top line and help him feel like he can trust me more. Then uh, that when I come out, I'm not going to force him to do anything, keeping it really chill and rewarding him for his behavior, but she still rides three days a week traditionally, which I'm just not comfortable with, and I feel like I'm lying to everyone. My trainer agrees he needs to have time off and work with only me, not to confuse him, but I am scared I won't get back on him if he hasn't been ridden. Um, and that they are right. But now I'm scared to tell them to make these changes since I don't trust my instincts anymore. And if it does go wrong, I can't get back on him and then I'll feel like an idiot. Do you have any tips or ideas on how to approach the situation? I do. I absolutely do. First of all, you're not insane. You're not stupid. You're not inadequate. And you, you have the knowledge you need. Your knowledge is your intuition. And, um, like intuition is a debated topic. Um, but what it really means, what it means to me as a logical and science-based person is that, um, you have a series of experiences that, um, make you believe what you believe. And that's your intuition. You have a feeling based on like past precedent, past points that you can reference, um, of what you feel is right and wrong. And so trust that, don't doubt that, there's a reason you don't feel right about this is because the girl that's working with your horse is not working with them in a way that you would and does not align with your beliefs. So it sounds like you've already decided that. But the thing that's holding you back is um, that you're afraid you won't get back on him because they said so, um, which is understandable. That's, I mean, you know, obviously people that you see um, as superior to you when you... Um, when they, they say um, that you're not going to be able to do something, it's really hard to, you know, kind of build your confidence back up to be able to. So obviously, I have never seen you ride before, but it sounds like you have an incredible trainer who's really willing to work with you and pay attention to your horse and you in a way that aligns with you. So what if it were my situation, and I know it's scary and it's not what you want to do, um, you know, to make anybody upset, but what I would do if it were me and my horse is I would... Um, ask the girl who has been riding him to stop and just be like, I think that you have really given him a solid um, basics foundation. And I think that um, I uh, would like to continue his education, um, but I'm going to really focus on groundwork for now. Thank you so much for helping me. I couldn't have done it without you. I really appreciate what you've done. You know, like try and make it a good situation. You know, don't make her feel bad. Be like, I hate the way you're riding my horse. You know, I mean, she has done a lot for you helping with the starting. So, I mean, you can just be like, yo, it's okay. I think I'm going to take it from here. Um, but I really appreciate you and your time. Um, are we good? You know, like compensation wise. So, um, but I think that it sounds like you and your trainer are absolutely capable of taking this into your own hands. And for what it's worth, I don't agree with the um, horses will be crazy if you get on them if you haven't ridden them in a long time. If they're started properly and they trust you, they have no reason to be quote unquote crazy. Um, that was something that people used to tell me about Zoe. And I used to think that I couldn't give her more than a day off or she would be insane. But it's interesting um, <laughs> when I stopped riding traditionally um, and really reduced the amount of stress that I was putting on her, um, like, her and me, like, our relationship specifically, her and I, I guess I should say, um, <laughs> but when, um, I started working with positive reinforcement, um, suddenly I didn't have a hot, spicy, crazy horse under saddle anymore. She was much calmer. Granted, um, we still had some issues, but I think that was largely due to the kissing spine and hawk issue, um, but, 
if a horse is started right, like it's like if you ask anybody who is a a, a well trained, I guess, um, colt starter or horse starter breaker, whatever you call them, um, the the process should not be crazy. You should not have to ride out the bucks. Um, it should be you get on them. And they're confident and they're comfortable and they know that you're not going to hurt them and there's no reason to be afraid. And then you can just sort of like walk around maybe and it's not eventful. It's boring. And that's how it should be. And, um, you know, obviously horses, they can get fresh or they can get spooked. That's that's definitely a concern. But if you take the right steps and you might have to like, you know, visualize in your mind that you're completely restarting this horse from the ground, you know, um, so if that helps the way you conceptualize it, that's okay. Um, but I, I would really, really encourage you not to doubt yourself because it sounds like you have an incredible head on your shoulders. You have a wonderful feel for your horses and are incredibly compassionate. And that is more than a lot of riders can say. And I'm not saying if you don't completely agree with the listener that you're, you know, the antithesis of all of those things. But listener, you sound like you, like you're capable and you've worked with horses before you've started them. And I, I just would really encourage you not to be so critical of yourself. And it's okay if you don't know everything that these other people do. Um, you know, you're, you're learning and you're educating yourself. And also, you've had different circumstances. You've been perver- uh, pursuing university. And so, you know, you can slow down on your education a little bit if you need to. Um, your horse one, I mean. And you can take the time you and your horse both need to get back on on track or where you want to be so um if it feels wrong having the girl riding him i would go ahead and ask her um that she stop thank her for everything that she's done and all the help that she's given you um and if you have made um payment arrangements go ahead and take care of that all of that sort of thing and um just do what you what you want like it's saying or you're saying that you want to do in-hand work and work on the ground and build a top line and that's okay you don't have to feel like you're lying to everybody or that you're going against them you're allowed to have your own belief system and work with your horse in the way that you want to I know it's difficult when you have a lot of people around you that are looking at you and judging you but at the end of the day what is most important is how you feel about your relationship with your horse if you think you're being ethical and if you think that you are doing the best job you can for your horse and if you feel like you're not you can change it and there's no need to feel guilty or shameful um you know unless that's the only thing preventing you from (laughs) going back to what you were doing um so it's okay to reflect on past experiences and be like that wasn't really the best call at the time but that's okay I'm changing it I'm doing something about it that is the biggest most important thing about all of this and I know it's scary and um you know I've been in like you're saying you don't know if you can trust your instincts super well I have been in a very similar position, unrelated situation, um, but also I guess I have been in it with um, horses when I changed to positive reinforcement. I was like, oh my god, everything I know is a lie, but I didn't really like wholeheartedly believe in everything I was doing traditionally anyway, Um, but like I was in a relationship for a while and um, I just got, got to a point where I couldn't trust my brain and like what I was remembering and um i have recently learned that that is largely due hey can you can you leave the scissors alone please cats playing with scissors on ground sorry um but i i learned that that is due to preoccupied attachment which is the attachment style that i have coincidentally um but 
yeah, so I was remembering things incorrectly. I like, and I would cause fights because I would be mad about something that didn't happen. <laughs> and that's really irritating. And I wasn't hallucinating or uh, delusional. It's just I was misremembering conversations by the way that they made me feel, um, not what was actually said. And a lot of it was projection. But at the same time, also had reason not to trust the individual that I was with. But um, you know, so it just, it made me feel crazy. And so I totally get where you're coming from, where you feel like you can't trust yourself and you just, you feel like you're wrong and everything you think is not the truth. And that is such an awful place to be. And I really empathize with you and I'm so sorry that you're dealing with it. I don't know what's up with my voice cracks today. I apologize. Um, I have been drinking water this episode, so I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, so don't feel crazy. You're not crazy. You're doing what you think is right for your horse, and you are allowed to do that. Um, so change if you feel like you would like to. I would recommend it. It sounds like it's something that's really weighing on you and is making you uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, all that matters is if you're having fun with your horse. This does not sound like a fun situation, and you're allowed to walk away. Um, so I hope that you... Um, you handle that in a way that um, makes you feel confident again. Um, and, you know, it sounds like you've got a great trainer to help you with that, too. So, hope that helps. Um, next question from another anonymous listener. Um, I have started my boy with positive reinforcement with great success. He's picking everything up so well and loving it. Congrats. That's awesome. He has completely stopped biting, which um, he has done his whole life being 19 and an OTB. I'm stoked that I could finally fix it without smacking him. Okay, we're going to take a hot pause. Did you guys hear that? We're going to repeat it. He's 19, and she made him stop biting with positive reinforcement, not hitting him. Just let that soak in. This is a horse that is bitten, presumably for more than when she's been working with him. He's 19 years old. And people say horses are too old and you can't train them you can't teach them positive reinforcement if they've used negative reinforcement their whole lives because they'll get confused and they won't understand and horses are stupid they're not she did it so congrats thank you for being a positive example i'm happy to use it <laughs> um anyway so just don't ever doubt your horses um there is always always a good way or snapchat notification so popular my phone's on silent now sorry about that um <clears throat> Anyway, continuing the email here. Recently, I was talking with one of the boarders at the barn I'm boarding at, and she's having problems with her horse biting. It only happens when she is in the stall and the own owner is going to put on the halter or she is around the mare's face. She's an eight, she has an eight-year-old daughter who has been bitten a few times. My God, not good. Um, we uh, They were taught to smack the horse every time she bites, and, well, for obvious reasons, that isn't working. If anything, it's making it worse, as one would assume. Um... I offered to help with positive reinforcement and clicker training. She's not big on me hand-feeding her treats, but I told her about teaching manners and that she cannot get any worse about biting than she already is. I hope that's not exactly how you approached it. I mean, that's that's a fair tactic, but um, if I were approaching the situation, I would be like, the horse is not understanding how to behave around treats if they're being muggy or rude, and all you have to do is teach them by reinforcing the right behavior. Watch. And then... Like, you can use a different horse at the barn if they don't want you to use their horse. And then you can show them how you can fix that with another horse. And then hopefully they would allow you to. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, to say, like, she can't get any worse with biting is not entirely true. Um, she could get worse or she could start using her feet or start attacking people. Especially, like, being in her stall or if she's getting haltered. Like, she might feel cornered and threatened and she doesn't want to do whatever is about to happen to her or something is hurting her. Um, so, eh, 
I don't know. I talked about that last episode a little bit more about our episode prior. I can't remember. I get those two confused. There's so many questions. Um, but last week, one of those two episodes, 21 or 22, I talked about um, if a horse is like being aggressive when you come into their stall and why that might be. Um, okay. I started today with her and I noticed quite a few strange things. Well, it sounds like you got, <laughs> you got to do it anyway, so that's good. Um, first off, I made sure she had hay and is in easy reaching distance if she chose to leave at any time. Awesome. Um, we did this in her stall with the door open and a gate across the front so we are in protected contact. Perfect. Um, she is grabby when it comes to the alfalfa pellets and she would try to eat my whole hand if I'm not careful. I would like to help fix this, but after a few times of almost losing a finger, I decided to use a rubber feed pan and toss the treats in it when I clicked. Um, good call there as well. Um, another thing that I noticed, um, is she seems very anxious to get the treats as fast as possible. Um, she picked up t on targeting really quick, but, uh, when I tossed the hay pellets into the tub, she would eat maybe one or two and then ignore the rest and look for something, um, to do to get more. I'm sorry. Um, my brain was thinking about something totally different while I read that. Uh, okay. Okay. I, I, sorry. had to read it. ADHD brain was thinking about something while I was reading it aloud. Um, I, what I was thinking was, um, maybe the alfalfa pellets are too high a value of reinforcer and you're like, oh my God, it's hay. How could that be? But horses, alfalfa is like crack to horses. So, um, if she's getting too overexcited, um, you can always lower the value of the reinforcer. Like you said, you've got hay available to her. So maybe grab some of that same hay and put it in your um, treat pouch and then use like, you know, a little handful of hay as your reward um, to like maybe establish the connection. And then you can work up to alfalfa pellets when she knows every time you click, it's going to happen. So you can try and lower that excitement. Um, okay. After about 10 minutes or so, I got her to relax by continuing with a high reinforcement rate. So good, good on you. Oh my God. Such a good, such a good student. I know you're probably not my student, but I hope, I don't know if you did all of this from the podcast and my stuff, that would be fantastic. But I'm sure you've looked elsewhere because this is like really high, high level, um, understanding of positive reinforcement. It's great. Good problem solving. Love this listener props. Um, the first time I read this email, um, I was just nodding the whole time. Cause every time I was like, Oh, try this. And she was like, I already did it. It's like, awesome. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I ended on a good note with a few handfuls of pellet in her corner feeder and shutter stall door. Um, I walked around for another 15-ish minutes, came back and attempted to put her halter on normally, um, and she would do anything she could to bite you, but was better than she normally is. I hope this is progress, but it seemed kind of fast for me to only have done it in one session. Don't doubt the process. This has happened to me too before, where you work on something completely different and then the horse is good with the other things that they used to be bad at. Um, it's it's powerful when they trust you a little bit more and they learn that, um, for the behaviors that they usually get hit for, um, you know, if they're not going to be punished, you know, for like being grabby or something like that. And you're working with them to show them what you would like them to do instead of just being like, no, 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 all the time. Um, then they start to trust you a little bit more and then you see that aggression die down. And, um, it sounds like she's still trying to communicate something's going on. Um, or that she's anticipating something bad. Maybe the halter hurts um, her ears. Maybe she has ticks in her ears or ear mites or something like that, which reminds me I need to take care of that in Zoe's ears. I've been avoiding it because, oh my God, it's like trypophobia. I hate, hate ticks and the ear mites look just like them and it's really scary for me. And I, <laughs> I can't like, mm -mm, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's the worst thing in the world for me. I hate it. Um, that's why I've been avoiding it, but I need to get them out. <laughs> um, anyway, um, ba -ba -ba. 
I, and also, for the record, because I know somebody will probably be like, this is a way to do that. Um, we have, like, a little cotton ball method. You put the medicine in, put it in, and they come out of their ears because um, they don't like the medicine. Um, okay, anyway. Um, I hope this is progress, but it seems kind of fast for me to be only having in one session. Do you have any tips? I remember you teaching Mag not to bite, using him to tar- or teaching him to target your hand with his mouth closed and not moving. I plan on teaching her this. So, yes, um, definitely. I have a podcast episode about that in season one, I believe. Um, and I also have a video on my YouTube up of, um, I think it's a progress video of like him moving past and me talking about what I did with him. Um, I think it's called solving biting. Um, at least that's the picture. Um, so yeah, you can do that. I would highly recommend teaching her that. So, um, she doesn't bite at people. Um, I would also recommend, um, figuring out what's going on with the halter, but I also wouldn't, like, I know, like, if she's in her stall and you have to turn her out, you're gonna have to put a halter on her, um, but it might be worth, um, uh, reworking the halter and teaching her to self-halter, um, but I also feel like that's probably going to only address a symptom and not, um, the cause, so I would encourage you guys to figure out what's, what's causing the behavior, like, if you're putting a halter on and then going to ride, it might be an indication that, um, you know, she doesn't like the tacking up process or the things that come after she gets taken out of her stall. Um, so I would encourage you to look for the solution there and then also um, counter condition the negative association to the halter and make it positive through positive reinforcement, teaching her to halter herself. That sort of thing um, would be probably really good for her. So, yeah, but I mean, other than that, hold on, I gotta put my hair up. Because I am getting hot. But, yeah, other than that, you're doing an incredible, incredible job. Like, oh, it's so nice to not have to be able to go through every single step. Which is fine for some people. But I really like when I when you know what you're doing and then um, you're good. But, yeah, I would really work on trying to figure out how to resolve, like, why it's happening in the first place. Um, because you can teach her to self-halter, but she still could be angry about it if it's predicting something she doesn't like. Um... But yeah, you're on the right track, absolutely. Use your brain. Your brain is good. It's working for you. It's doing all the right things. Um, Okay. Next anonymous question, slightly less long. Um, A horse I'm getting from a trainer friend came from a kill pen a few months ago, and this trainer decided that she would give her to us. But she's only three, so she hasn't been trained to ride yet, so she was going to keep her for a month to get her rideable and then continue to give me, have me continue her lessons. Okay. Which is great and a good training experience for me, but the problem is she trains with positive P and I trained with positive R. I'm assuming you mean like traditionally, because I don't think anybody trains with exclusively positive punishment. So probably negative R and positive punishment. Um, I would really work on getting clear with those terms if I were you. Um, no shame, just it's important um, for communication purposes. Um, and I trained with positive reinforcement, and she really just isn't open to positive reinforcement and is sure it will make pushy horses. Fine. She's entitled to her opinion. She's wrong, though. (laughs) Um, I have talked to her and made sure she knows I don't think what she's doing is wrong or abusive and explained that pretty much the first things taught to a horse is how to behave around food and that um, when we train... and Oh, my God. Even though we train differently, I still want to help her with training Cherokee, which is the horse's name. Um, Awesome. Not an easy conversation to have. Wonderfully. Wonderfully done, I mean. Um, She's kind of just ignored what I want. That's typical. Happened to me and my trainer, too. Um, and she said she's going to keep her there for a month and train her anyway. I have mentioned that I don't really want her to ride or want 
I guess her ridden until she's a little older, but she told my mom today she'll have a saddle on her tomorrow. Not a rider, but it's pre- pretty obvious that she's planning on doing it. And it is technically still her horse, so she has the right. It's just kind of frustrating as she throws my, all my opinions out the window. Totally hear you. We're almost done. One more paragraph. Um, considering I am only 14 and definitely not nearly as experienced, I see why she thinks that, but I have been getting advice from Adele Shaw, who is a willing inquine, if you guys don't know. Love Adele. Um, which has been very helpful and she has taught me a lot. So I guess what I'm asking is when she comes back from training, where should I start with her and just act like she hasn't been taught to ride and just wait to do that or just ride her and change the rank cues and things like that. The things that I really don't want her to be ridden until she's four and I really wanted her, her to be started under saddle with positive reinforcement. But I also know I can't do it alone and though I do plan on getting lessons from Adele, I was really hoping that I uh, would still have her help because she can she could be here in person, but I really don't know if she'd be willing to help if I just kind of ignored everything about that she has taught her. I was also wondering if you had any ideas how I could get her to see that positive reinforcement isn't bad. Okay, a lot to unpack here. We're approaching 50 minutes, um, and we still have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight questions left, and I know that eighth one is like wildly long. Um, so uh buckle up or listen on two times speed i don't know it's on some apps i know on apple Podcasts and on spotify you can um change the listening speed i didn't know that for a really long time when i was listening to podcasts and that was helpful information because then you can um get a lot listened to in a shorter amount of time so if you're one of those people just be mindful that that is an option um i meant to say that at the beginning anyway um so this is going to be a long one so if you need to speed it up go for it i know i take a long time to speak. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, this is a tricky situation for sure. Um, what I would do is try to, um, you know, obtain the horse as soon as possible, like have it in your name. If it is her horse and she's unwilling to sell it to you, um, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, you know, I hate to say that, but it it's if it's her horse, you can't change it. Like, I'm in a very similar situation with Azula, who is the five-month-old that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. Um, she's not mine, and I, I, I can't have any really say in her future. And um, Sunny, my boss, um, bought her to, or was she was given her and given to her to be a racehorse because she's in a fleet Alex line. Um, and she has, I think, unbridled, no, Stormcat, and, um, so she's got a few other ones in there that are really good, and, um, so Sunny really wants to run her, and, you know, I, like, I don't really have, like, a vendetta against racing. I think that it's, has it as just as many flaws as most other industries, um, within the horse world, um, and, you know, it's a little bit different, like, um, I think starting horses younger, um, in dressage or barrel racing or eventing careers is a lot harsher on them than racing is because a lot of those movements are upper level or um, really impact based in the case of barrel racing and jumping. And um, also the riders are often much heavier. Like jockeys, I think they have to be like, what, 115 or less? Um, So, you know, most people are not 115 if you are congrats but you know like most people aren't I know I'm not so you know that's a lot more weight on a horse's back they have teeny tiny little jockey saddles um and you know I don't agree with everything that's done on a track but for the most part I know that Sunny is um as ethical as she can be she abides by the rules she doesn't drug her horses none of that 
um, you know, they get broken in a little bit earlier than I would prefer. Um, for Azula, she'll be, um, she'll probably go for race training, not this November, but next. So November, 2021. And, um, she, so she'll almost be two and that's not my favorite thing in the world, but there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I don't own her and, um, Sunny's going to run her. I don't have a say in it. Um, you know, and it's, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> like, there's nothing I can do. And I don't think it's going to destroy Azula. I don't think she's going to not have a life, um, you know, after it. And if, like, I'll still want her even if she bows a tendon or she has to have a chip re- removed or anything like that. Obviously, I would rather those things not happen to her and we're going to do everything we can to prevent that outside of not racing her. But my point with saying all of that is, like, if it's not your horse, there's really not a whole lot you can do. You can keep talking to her about positive reinforcement, but, like, you have to be really careful with it because, obviously, you don't want to deter her from still giving you the horse. Um, It might also be worth, like, you know, talking to your parents about it and, like, making sure that everybody's on the same page of, um, you know, when you're going to buy the horse, um, if you would, like, if you're paying for it or if she's just giving it to you. If she's just giving it to you, it's a little bit of a tricky situation there because, um, you know, you're like, uh, where's, what is, you know, like, uh, when, um, and, you know, if you push the issue, you don't want to make her mad to where she doesn't want to give you the horse anymore, um, but in this situation, what I would do, it sounds like you've tried to explain, um, that you would like to teach the horse, you know, manners around food, et cetera, et cetera, um, what I would do is probably, um, you know, be like, as you're working with her, would it be okay if I worked with her as well? And then you can um, teach her manners around food and successfully, you know, do that sort of thing and start beginning your training with her, you know, just on the ground um, and that sort of thing. And your trainer can do whatever she would like, you know, with the horse. But it sounds like she's just wanting to get her started for the month. You know, you said she's going to keep her for a month and get her rideable. Realistically, um, you know, usually in a situation like that, it's not going to give the horse, you know, leg problems or back problems that are going to screw them up for the rest of their lives, you know, and I'm sure she's not going to be riding her for hours every single day of the month. So, you know, it it might, you know, it could be absolutely, I don't know your trainer, so that's why I'm proceeding with caution here. You know, some trainers, if you keep on, they'll just be like, all right, you take the horse and you do it. I have enough to do anyway. I don't want to waste my time. But if, um, you know, if she's giving it to you and it's one of her only horses, you know, that sort of thing can be a bit of a trickier situation. I don't know what the situation is, so I'm trying to cover all the bases here. Um, if it were me and my past experiences with trainers, I would probably just be like, okay, cool. I would like to start working with her, you know, just doing like light introducing her to positive reinforcement training. No big deal. It won't interfere with your training. Um, and I appreciate you working with her and getting her started for me and leaving it there. And then that way, um, you know, once she's yours, then you can do what you want. That is the difference. (laughs) If she's not your horse and you're waiting on your trainer to give her to you, it's a little bit of a a power system um, problem where you can't exactly, you know, say whatever you want or do whatever you want with the horse because she's not yours yet and the trainer could easily revoke that offer. Um, So, you know, I would wait till it's on paper. You have the bill of sale. You own the horse, that sort of thing. And then, um, uh, yeah, and then do your training. I know it's disappointing because you want to start her um, and you want to be the one that's doing everything. But, um, you know, it's if it's only a month out of her life um, 
and she's not your horse. It's just it's a really tricky situation. Um, as far as getting her to see positive reinforcement isn't bad, often with people, you know, you can send them leaks, you can send them videos, you can send them research. Probably not going to watch it because they're like, this doesn't agree with what I agree with. Sorry, not doing it. Um, so really the best thing is to just show you know, the changes, like address a problem, fix it, and then be like, look, we don't do this anymore. And then slowly people start coming around. Some people are obviously open to education, but a lot aren't. And I'm not saying that if you don't use positive reinforcement, you're not educated. That's not what I mean. I just mean a lot of people aren't open to having their beliefs and their methods and their livelihood means challenged. So um, I would proceed with caution, but I hope that helps. You know, um, also, something I should mention is if you're working with Adele, ask her opinion on it. You know, um, if she's your trainer, you need to get her opinion on it because um, I don't want to step on any toes and I love and respect Adele. Um, so ask what she thinks about it as well. Um, and, you know, I know it's really nice to have somebody help you in person, but um, Adele is really awesome. And also you can find a trainer that aligns with you a little bit more. Sometimes it's easier to establish boundaries and set rules with new people versus people that have known you while you're changing, you know, your stance on training, because if you train with somebody with negative reinforcement for a long time, you know, they're like, okay, cool. Why are you changing all of a sudden? You know, sometimes it can just be easier if you start fresh with a new trainer. Um, and you're just like, look, this is what I'm all about. I believe in positive reinforcement training. Still like to be able to ride, but I ride compassionately. These are my boundaries. You know, like just if you're a person who's against whips or spurs or, um, bits or whatever, just, lay that out there. I'm not saying that I'm against any of those things. I'm just saying if that is your limit, tell the trainer, be like, this is my horse, blah, blah, blah. But I would just kind of wait until everything blows over with, um, waiting until you own the horse. I don't know if that's bad advice or not, but that is at least what I would do. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take a drink of water here. Okay. <laughs> um, next question. Um, listener Tracy says, um, I am currently leasing a horse at my barn without the opportunity to buy. He's amazing. He trusts me. He's a quick learner. Um, I enjoy working with him, but I can't help feel discouraged and like we aren't going anywhere. My trainer, the one I'm leasing him from, uses him as a lesson horse to kids, and I feel like any forward movement gets pulled back after another lesson. He used to be so responsive, the lightest cue would get his attention, but now with younger and inexperienced kids riding him, I find it hard to keep that going. Every time I go to ride, it makes uh, it takes me having to get him back to where we were. Um, is this something that I should just put up with? I hate to confuse him if that's possible because the way I train is much different from my trainers. Young kids on him just bounce along and try to balance from him. Um, so I'm sure that isn't helping as well. Um, I just... Oh, God, I just got so distracted. I just do not know how to respond to the whole situation. And I feel very timid asking my trainer if she could just not give lessons on him. Let me know what you think. I appreciate it so much. Cheers to being an inspiration. Oh, that's so nice. I didn't mean to read that part. I usually try to leave out all the the praise, but I do appreciate it from you guys. It, it means a lot. Um, so, this is a tricky situation again, not being your horse. Um, all you can do is ask. The, the worst she could say is no. I highly doubt you asking if she could, you know, limit him um, being a lesson horse would, um, you know, make her revoke her lease. Um, but you have to approach this tactfully. Obviously, if he is her only lesson horse, she's probably going to say no. Um, but if not, maybe you could see if you could, um, like, increase your lease a little bit. And, um, like, if you if that's a financial option... 
um, you know, you can ask, like, could I lease him for more and, um, you know, remove other people working with him because I feel like, you know, we're kind of at an impasse here. I'm trying to get somewhere with him and I feel like it might be being impeded. Um, you know, when you're having a lesson with her, um, just be like, I feel like we're struggling with this issue and I feel like every single time by the end of my ride, I'm getting it there, but then other people ride and then I feel like maybe he's lost it. And I don't think anybody's a bad rider. Um, I understand that kids are trying to learn and they have to learn on somebody. I totally empathize with that situation, but it's making it a little bit difficult for me to feel like I'm really progressing with him. Um, you know, what do you think we should do? And, you know, maybe you could come into that situation and ask if you could talk to her, like, in your lesson or whatever and just be like, you know, uh, I have an issue, a problem, and, you know, you're my trainer, you're his owner, and I'm hoping that you can help me work this out in a way um, because I don't know what to do. Um, you know, make it a collaborative effort that you really want her opinion. And I'm not, like, I hope that you guys aren't like, oh, my God, Jill's so manipulative. But just, like, talking the way that you address people is really important especially um you know if you're trying to persuade them to do something um you don't want to go in there being like your students are screwing up my horse and she'll be like it's not your horse sorry goodbye um you know you don't want to do that but just you know having a, a mature conversation with her and just being like look i'm having an issue and i i really want your advice on it um let's see if we can work out a solution together um i'm hoping you can help me I would really like to progress with this horse, but I feel like every time I come back, you know, he's taught on some lessons, and I'm just feeling like we're not really making any progress, because I have to get back to where we were, and I feel like, you know, he's getting a little dull to kids learning on him, and um, I was wondering if maybe we could, like, limit him to um, some of the more advanced riders, or if, um, you know, maybe I could pick up some chores at the barn to help with my lease, like, is there anything I can do? um, to sort of isolate him, remove him from the lesson program. Obviously, that's only going to work if she has other lesson horses. I don't know, but other than that, try to recognize that your, your relationship with the horse is special. He recognizes you as a different person. That is, that is a fact. Horses can tell people apart. I'm not anthropomorphizing, I promise. Um, but yeah, just, just try and take solace in that, and hopefully, um, that advice helped someone. I know it's, it's kind of an impasse, and I know it's scary to ask your trainer, but again, the worst thing she can do is say no, and it might be scary to start asking her, but, um, you know, you've, I'm sure you've gone over a thousand reasons in your head why you would like to see this change, so all you have to do is ask, and, um, you know, once you get into the conversation, it'll start flowing a lot easier, and it's just that initial, initial training. Um, okay. Next question, listener Kira asks, I'm primarily a dressage rider and I do a lot of trick training and groundwork, typically following the Tristan Tucker method uh, via my trainer. I don't know who that is for reference. Um, however, when I school dressage, I try to keep my rides around 15 to 20 minutes long because I like to build fitness through cavaletti or hill work. Um, there, this is only really because I think my horse gets bored of super long dressage sessions and I feel mean if I school for like 45 minutes on my normal rides. Speaking of which, I should probably jump in here and say, there is a video on YouTube at present. Um, hold the phone. I'm going to pull it up. Um, but it is um, Dr. Andrew McLean, not McLean, McLean, um, talking about, um, oh my God, no, YouTube. Why are my videos not showing up? 
That's crazy. Where are they? <gasps> no. It's think. Oh my god, this is so annoying. Um, anyway, hold on. I bet I can just. Andrew McLean. Sorry, I know this is taking a long time. I just don't want to pause it. Um, Equitation Science International. Yeah, he has a ton of videos available, um, but he just recently did one. Oh my god, I can't find it! Hold on! I'm so sorry. Hold on. Jet Equithury on YouTube. I'll show you how to get to it. <laughs> um, go to my profile and hit playlists. Positive R equine training. Scroll down to the bottom. <gasps> it's a private video. Oh my god, it's gone. Oh, that's so disappointing. I didn't get to watch the whole thing. God, that's annoying. Um, damn it. Anyway, they have a they have a channel. It's called e uh, Equitation Science International, and you can watch all their videos. That sucks that that video's gone. Shoot. Ah, man, I wanted to watch the whole thing. Sorry, that was just like probably five minutes of me being all over the place. Anyway, um, in that video, my point is he talked about um, you should really only ever train for like 25 minutes. So good on you, uh, listener Kira. I mean, Tracy. Kira was the last question, right? No. Yes, it is Kira. I was right. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. Proceeding here. Anyway, I like to build stamina through hill work via hacking trail riding on a walk because it's low intensity. Um, and I think it's good to get out of the arena. Uh, fact check me here, but I do believe that sometimes that can result in a suspensory tendon problem. Not sure. I think you might have to work up to being able to walk up hills. I know a lot of people at one of my barns did it, and I think that's what my trainer always said, but I, I never checked it with research. But I'm pretty sure it's like easier for the horse to do it in canter, and it puts a lot of stress on their suspensory or bow attendant or something like that. Just double check. Just double check it, because I don't know, and I'm not doing that kind of work. So just make sure. You don't want to hurt your horse. Um, okay. Uh, da -da -da -da. However, my horse gets really anxious on the way back, partially because she is very smart and knows exactly where the she is relative to the barn. It does make sense that she'd want to go home because that's where all, all her friends and food and considers at home. She feels safe there. I understand that, and I'm not sure how to make trail riding hacking a more positive experience for her. I've been told uh, to back her out of Martingale, use a stronger bit, make her run in circles and other things along those lines She when she starts to jig or rush on the way home. Frankly, it hasn't worked, maybe because I stopped using those methods because I felt really guilty, though I also didn't feel like um, they worked because they seemed like they would make the whole ordeal a lot more stressful and anxiety is the root of this issue. What a concept, isn't it? <laughs> like, it seems so obvious because it is. Um, so good on you for recognizing that. Yeah, if the horse is already anxious and you're making them quote unquote move their feet and show them who the alpha is like you're just going to stress them out more what you want to be doing is de-escalating making it a good experience and making it somewhere that she wants to be um so i was considering carrying a big thing of carrots or something on my trail rides or hacks so that um on the way back i can give her a bite of the carrot so she learns that if she walks on the way home she gets snacks however i would most likely have to ride her in a rope halter on the trails um so she could chew easily and i do worry that if she got upset she could take off and get hurt Feel bad because a couple of years ago she was a horse I could just throw a halter and lead her up on and we could go on a short trail ride and she'd be totally fine. However, when I started to school her more often in the arena, I stopped riding as often and I think that contributed to the issue. Anyways, I'm wondering if I should try to do something along the lines of bringing snacks out with her or if there's another idea. I want to make this a fun experience for her. So, 
wonderful idea. One of the first things that I learned from Adele Shaw when I switched to positive reinforcement was because I, I was having, I've had the same issue with Zoe like a thousand times over. Like she would canter in place, like the pace of a walk, but cantering all the way back to the barn. And she would rear and she would spin and she would canter in place. And, you know, she's a very dark bay horse and her neck would turn white because she was so sweaty. I have not been able to address this issue because I haven't taken her on a trail ride since. And our trail riding situation is a little bit complicated. You have to walk through a whole paddock. It's very stressful and I don't like it. So until there is an aisle built, I'm not doing it. Um, anyway, so yeah. What I would recommend, or okay, where I was going with what Adele said. Adele was like, we have arena horses, and we think we're going to go on this nice, relaxing trail ride, but for our horses, it's, like, total mind-blowing. Like, you know, they're used to an arena, very safe, four walls, blah, 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 or a field, whatever, but then you take them out on a trail ride, and there's all these things happening. There's trees. It's a new environment. They've never been here before. It's very frightening, potentially. They're on guard. They're anxious, et cetera, et cetera sounds like you've taken your horse on trail rides before um but now that you've started working in the arena a lot riding less um maybe it's a little bit scarier i think did you say you moved barns or something i don't know could be a new place um that she's never been so um it could be a matter of um you know making it like taking the time to do it often enough to where she gets comfortable but also um oh my god what was i gonna say (laughs) making it a positive place so um you said you'd have to ride in a rope halter. Not true. Um, with Zoe, I um, I was there towards the end before I figured out she had kissing spine. I rode in a bit and gave her treats, and she chewed them just fine. It's not a problem. Um, I would recommend using alfalfa pellets, though, because carrots um, are a little bit high in sugar. And, um, you know, if you haven't worked with positive reinforcement before, they can also be a little bit overexciting because they're really good. Horses love them, usually, if that's her favorite snack. Um, So I like to save those for, like, a jackpot treat. Um, Because, like, as I was talking in the previous, or one of the previous questions, like, um, you know, she was saying that the alfalfa pellets the horse is getting really excited and really anxious about, and I recommended using the hay. Um, So you just want to avoid that. Use the lowest possible reinforcer um, that you can. Um, So... You know, you want to be able to move up in goodness. So I would start with alfalfa pellets and not start off with carrots. Um, so, but you can carry them to be like an extra, like if she's really good and walks like a lot of steps and is really calm, then you can um, do that. Um, you know, some people prefer like, I know Alexandra Curland and all of her um, students usually use a fishing vest that has a lot of pockets that you can keep different treats in. Um, I have not prescribe to that quite yet because I cannot get over my aesthetic problem with it but if you don't mind you go right ahead with that that would be helpful in this situation another thing what I would really do in this situation is I wouldn't ride it I would uh, walk her um, you know and break it down like don't expect to do your entire workout with her and um, then only address the problem coming back I would walk a short distance away from the barn and then walk back and reward her for walking um, after you teach her manners, the rules of the game, all that sort of thing, and, um, how you'd like her to behave. Also, um, I would practice, um, rewarding her for walking calmly, um, outside of the stressful situation. Again, only changing one thing at a time. So, um, be sure that you've got all that down and then start doing it. But I would do it in hand because that can be a little less confusing. And sometimes, um, it's a little bit difficult for horses to get the treat 
from you when you're in the saddle. Not like they can't do it or they won't ever do it. Um, Zoe does it every single time I click, but I've noticed when she gets a little bit more anxious or a little bit ramped, she's not as keen to turn all the way around and take it from me. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's better, in my opinion, to um, start on the ground because you can kind of like encourage them to eat it a little bit more than you can or a little bit easier than you can from the saddle. Um, and I'm not trying to discourage riding with positive reinforcement at all. That can be done. It's just like when you're trying to train something stressful, that might not be the best route to go. So I would start by breaking it down um, and then walking her, you know, hand walking her. Um, that also eliminates your stress about her having a bit in while she's eating. So that's what I would do. And I would just make it a really good experience walking back. It's fine. We're chilling. We're relaxing. We're not in a hurry. And, um, you know, just make it really good to be out there so that maybe she's not so keen to leave. Um, as I've talked about in a previous podcast with Zoe, um, you know, (laughs) I used to have a problem getting her to go to the arena, but now I have a problem getting her to come back. And so I'm going to have to make the um, pasture a really good place so I don't just take her out there work with her and then throw her back out in the pasture and I'm done I need to keep working with her in her pasture so she is okay going both directions so I'll just have to plan my time a little bit better to um a lot for working in her pasture as well um so I hope that helps with that mad congrats on um wanting to actually help it be a good experience for her and not stress her out even more Um, wow, I'm getting super hungry. Um, we only have a couple more questions. I'm going to try and make them concise, but I highly doubt that'll happen. Um, but I am starving and really want Taco Bell or Zaxby's. Ooh, or Jimmy John's is good. Yeah, probably Zaxby's. (laughs) Um, okay. Anyway, um, Anonymous listener asks, I would love your help as I've spent the last week trying to introduce a clicker to my senior horse. She's super food vomit. Oh my god, I'm having stroke. Super food motivated. So I thought she'd have or love positive reinforcement, but she's afraid of the clicker. I've tried making the sound with my mouth, but I can't make it consistent enough to work. I've introduced the clicker w- uh, with no target in her stall, and by the end, she barely shies away. The next session, we're back to her spooking. I'm not sure what to do because the whole point of positive reinforcement in my mind is to make the horse enjoy the work, but she's more stressed than with non-escalating negative reinforcement. She's not na- um, naturally spooky, so I'm a little shocked, but I don't want to give up. Any advice would be great. Right, so it's just um, a a, um, situation of spontaneous recovery. Um, So you get rid of a behavior, and then um, after you put them away for a while, they come back, and the behavior is back. Um, That's okay. It happens, and um, you just kind of have to, like, keep her remembering that it's a good thing. The click should um, represent good things, so you're going to want to pair them really closely, especially with a horse that's um, a little bit frightened. Um... Juno, the horse that we had that came, um, from the kill pen, um, I started her with the, um, the tangible clicker, like the little device, um, where you press the button, and, uh, it scared her to death, (laughs) um, but that was around the time I started using my mouth, um, sound, so, and if you want to use the mouth sound, because I don't know which ones you're familiar with, I use the sound, and, and I know that, um, oh my god, what is her name, um, oh my god, She's one of my friends. Why am I... Oh, my God. Her Instagram username is Swing Jinx. Like, swing. Like, the, like a playground swing. And then Jinx. J-I-N-X. But, oh, my God. What is her name? Oh, my God. It's like... Su- oh, 
that's so annoying. Oh my god, hold on everyone. I'm just really not keen on pausing um, the uh, podcast. Oh my god, no, that's not what I typed. Oh wait, it's J-Y-N-X, Jinx. Um, Solera, I knew it was a cool name, I always forget. Um, I had like Sumera stuck in my head. Solera, she uses the tsk sound. It's like, it's got a T at the beginning of it. I don't use that sound. Mine is because I can't figure out how she makes the sound that she makes. Um, other people use a sound. Um, I personally, um, loathe that sound, so I don't use it. Um, but it's louder than mine. So, um, that would probably be better for writing. So if you don't mind that sound, use that one. Cause like if, if the horse is like trotting over, uh, like arena sand, it's kind of hard to hear so, um, I've run into a problem with that. I have to be really loud. I'm like, Sk! like, <laughs> uh, so, um, anyway, um, you can make any sound you want. You could say yes. You could say, um, pineapple, like whatever you can say, like, or make a mouth sound. I don't know how to make it not sound like, ah, like, <laughs> I mean, you could do, you could do anything you want. Um, if that is still not something you want to do. Um, you could use a tangible clicker, but you could like, um, put it in a pocket, um, you know, uh, put it behind your back, um, or stand really far away from her, but then it's kind of hard to pair that and the food really closely. But anyway, um, there are endless different things you could do. You're just going to have to get creative. But, um, when the horse gets, um, to where she knows the clicker is predicting good things, um, then she won't be scared of it. That'll naturally take care of itself. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to stress her out, but it's getting better each session. So you're just experiencing some spontaneous recovery. It's totally fine. Obviously you don't want to scare her. You want to minimize her stress. So maybe you can muffle it at the beginning of the session. You can gradually start making it a little bit louder. Maybe you can like wrap a scarf or something around your hand. So it's like really condensed. I don't know. You can try a bunch of different things, but it will go away for sure. Um, okay. Next anonymous listener, could you please discuss your ADHD on a podcast episode and uh, about how you have struggled and overcome this in your writing? I have struggled with my own ADHD for a while now, and it's really affected me in my writing. I have no one who can relate to me and who I can converse with about it. It would be amazing to hear from somebody who can relate to the struggle and talk about their process with coping and overcoming their struggles with ADHD. Okay. So first, I don't have a formal ADHD diagnosis. I am the reason, like, I can, okay, fine, whatever, um, I am studying psychology, uh, that was my undergrad major, and now I am pursuing my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, I have looked at the DSM, I have read studies, scientific literature, um, and, um, that sort of thing, I have listened to many a podcast, there's, um, I forget what it's called, but it's this ADHD podcast, and they interview a bunch of um, ADHD specialists, and they talk about all of the signs and symptoms and everything. Um, and the reason I have done all of this is because my therapist actually sort of invalidated it. I absolutely love my therapist. I respect her. I think she is one of the strongest and most wise people that I have ever met in my entire life. I absolutely love and adore her, but she doesn't really believe in ADHD. And I, I get it, okay? Because here's the thing about ADHD. There's a lot of argument about it because unless you take an MRI of somebody's brain, you can't really tell um, because, I don't know, it's so inconsistent. But from what I know, ADHD is when you have, 
lower executive fun- functioning because um, typically people with ADHD have a smaller frontal lobe of their brain, which is where your decision-making and executive functioning is, which is why people with ADHD experience like um, impulsive um, buying, like where they just buy a lot of things because they have a lot of trouble managing finances and managing money, which hi, <laughs> spent like $400 yesterday or something um, on furniture, sort of necessary, but like I really wanted to wait until next month, but I did it anyway. Um, and that sort of thing, as well as, um, like, there are a bunch of differences. Um, it shows up differently in boys than it does in girls. Um, you know, I mean, that's a generic statement. Obviously, there are exceptions to every rule, and not everybody's going to present the same. But um, typically, it was thought to be a, um, like, a boy's childhood problem, um, and that adults, like, everybody grew out of it, and that has um, proven to not be the case. Um, it's not a childhood problem and it's not a boy problem. Um, boys typically just manifest in like bouncing off the walls and the, what you typically think of with ADHD is a child that's just running around all the time, can't focus, is failing school, can't pay attention, won't pay attention, just does whatever they want and they're crazy all over the place. Um, that's not necessarily true and I feel like that is not really the, the common one, um. Uh, because when they broadened what ADHD actually is, it was like, okay, there's a lot more to this. Um, as you get older and your frontal lobe develops, those, those symptoms dissipate, but they're still there. It's still a problem with executive functioning. I I say problem loosely. You can watch a bunch of TED Talks on, um, ADHD and why it's a good thing. There's one that's like, ADHD is my superpower or something like that. Um, I think they're really empowering and they really changed my perspective on it because I have, especially in the master's program, I'm like, wow, I'm an idiot. Like I have a problem, like a whole ass learning disability. Like I cannot focus. And, um, let me finish talking about like what it is. So we're all on the same page. Um, but for girls, um, like young girls, it typically manifests in like hyperactivity, but mentally not so much like you're bouncing all off the walls and you can't sit still you're running around your feet are wiggling blah 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 it's mostly just that your brain won't stop you have like a thousand tabs open you know like a computer you have a bunch of different tabs open you're thinking about a bunch of different things bouncing from topic to topic um and that's what it's like for me um all the time additionally with the fidgeting and the foot wiggling and um it's characterized as feeling like you're driven by a motor like you have to be doing something all the time you're restless if you're not doing anything you have problems finishing things um or starting things that are really difficult like it just takes a long time for you to get going and then when you do get going um like for instance in my master's program uh I was on chapter four of my marriage therapy and family systems class Chapter four, each chapter, it says it should take an hour to read. Um, so chapter four, right? It should be four hours. Took me 21, 21 hours because I would get up and leave. I would just forget to be doing my homework. Um, or I would zone out and have to reread, um, because it's an inability to concentrate. And so for me, I can't switch on concentrating. And I also move a lot and I, talk excessively. That's why I have a podcast where I can talk to literally no one about everything and anything for two hours. And, um, so like 
I, I don't know. It's just a lot. And every time I get on a phone call with somebody or I'm talking to somebody, I never shut up. Um, my therapist called me out um, and made me realize that it's a problem. I rush people through what they're saying by trying to finish their sentences for them. Or I cut people off because I'm like, I already know what you're going to say. So then I start talking. <laughs> and um, like, I, it's just, it's a rush. Like I'm always rushing. And um, those are all diagnostic criteria of um, at least the hyperactive type. I don't really have the inattentive type too badly but like there's also some um conversation over whether there are actual types or it's just everything like it's all of them um but I do have a problem with inattention particularly in conversations it's very hard for me to pay attention to people talking and I never really remember or like noticed how bad it was until I like got a close friend that I lived with oh my god lived close with and she um was just she's so mellow and every time we'd be on a car ride or something she is just like chilling staring out the window and I was like what are you thinking about and she's like nothing and I was like no but like okay cool what are you thinking about though like she'd be like literally nothing I'm just looking outside and I was like what that what (laughs) like the whole time I'm driving I'm singing the song and thinking about seven different things like and I or talking the entire time and she's just like "Mm -hmm." she's just like very mellow calm just doesn't have ADHD she's just neurotypical by all definition and um so I'm just like non-stop talking non-stop thinking all the time all the time all the time and as a result I have dealt with insomnia for a while I think I finally got my sleep pretty much under control um but that was another big problem for me because I couldn't shut my brain off and um now I'm listing all of these things and if you're relating to me there is a chance that you could have ADHD but it does not mean that you have ADHD just because you're like oh my god I have trouble focusing on boring things too like (laughs) that's that's not it's there's a difference um but uh yeah so for me um like I've always been a straight A student I have never, like, I mean, I think in high school I had a few B's, but that was only because math, and I also um, am, like, number dyslexic. The word for that is dyscalculic. Every time I look at numbers, they switch around in my head, and I can't remember them. I can't do mental math. It is is the worst. It is, it's a real struggle. Um, I prefer calculators, but even then, if I read it, then I put it on my calculator, I get the numbers backwards, and it's just frustrating. Um, So we don't do numbers in this house, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so for me, I always got really good grades. And even in those math classes, I got B's. And hear me out here. I'm not promoting this. I don't think it's ethical. It was wrong. And I'm not doing this any longer. But I cheated. I cheated a lot. And that is how (laughs) I maintained my grades. And in um, undergrad, I I cheated a lot. And I got caught um, uh, fall 2019. So last fall semester. And, um, I got caught, um, because I had the notes in my desk and then my professor called me into his office like a week later and was like, tell me about the notes. And I was like, oh my God, uh, I'm dying. But I was honest. I fessed up. I was like, yep, they were there. And he was like, what'd you use them for? And I was like, uh, the test. And then he was like, well, that was easy. And I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. That's what they were there for. It's fairly obvious. I think we both know. <laughs> like, And, um, he was like, okay, well you failed the class. And I was like, lit so they're good I had a 4.0 GPA up until that point too but I always felt like I didn't really earn it because I cheated the whole time and um I at least in my summation believe that cheating was my coping strategy because um 
I couldn't pay attention in class and it was really hard for me to learn the material and I never had to study and studying is hard for me. So in effort to avoid it, I just cheated. And so that's why I don't think I ever got like, um, because that started in third grade, by the way, I cheated on my multiplication tables in third grade because I couldn't, couldn't learn it. And, um, but that is, I don't think that really had much to do with ADHD. I think that was more the inability to work with numbers and not just the, oh, girls are bad at math. Like I don't subscribe to that, but, um, I really do think that I have some level of math dyslexia, um, because the numbers just, I, I can't hold them in my head. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's all of that. And I think that it developed because, uh, the cheating, I mean, I think that the cheating developed because I, um, I couldn't, I couldn't study. I had a really hard time with it and I was avoiding it. And I think that's why I never got like picked out, um, when I was younger, cause I had good grades. I've always, you know, like not to brag or be arrogant, but I've always thought myself to be a relatively intelligent person. And, um, you know, I could read books a lot, but I, reading was easy for me because there's so many things going on at once. Not only am I looking at the book, but I'm painting a picture in my head. I'm seeing it all happen. There's so much going on. I'm invested in the story. And there, um, I have a quote on my computer about ADHD and, um, they have a, it's, it's a lot easier to be able to, um, focus when you're high, like super interested in something. It's not just like, oh, well, anybody focuses when they're interested and when it's boring, they have a hard time. It's, it's more than that. Um, you have to be really interested and that's, that's why I was good at reading, but, um, I'm going to read a few quotes that I have on my computer about it. Um, I would see a lot of these kids, this is Dr. David Potter. I forget. It was some ADHD podcast I was listening to. Um, anyway, he said, I would see a lot of these kids come in, most often not treated in high school because they were high functioning enough not to need treatment. But once they got to college and the stress increased, they found it more difficult to procrastinate and get everything done last minute because of the weight on the material. I'm going to pause in this. That's exactly what I did. I waited until the very last minute to write all of my papers, read all of my books. Like all last semester, I would read a book the night before it was due because I could not physically could not force myself to sit down and read it like chapter by chapter. It just wouldn't happen. I would not process. I couldn't comprehend anything that I was reading. They were, um, boring history books, like, but they were like 400 pages long and I had to read them and I had like four of them to do. So, um, I unethically attained some substances, um, being Adderall, um, because I don't have a prescription for it. And I found a friend who was my height and I took it and it was like, it calmed my brain down. Again, I really want to be careful here, not advocating anybody do that. These are my experiences. I do not condone getting, um, substances from anybody else. It is unethical and it will, um, it could harm you. You really need to have a prescription. It was stupid and I should not have done it, but I was panicking and my therapist wouldn't help me. And my mom didn't believe I had it because she was like, oh, I'm, because she's a teacher. And she was like, you know, I, like, I've seen plenty of kids that have ADHD, but I think, um, like, generally, generally, oh my God, generationally, um, it's changed a little bit what ADHD means. And, um, so I, I wasn't getting, I didn't have access to help because my therapist doesn't believe in it at all. I love her. I think she's super wonderful, but I definitely got invalidated a lot. And I'm not saying that I'm right. And, you know, my PhD therapist is wrong, but she's a little bit woo. And she's like, I think ADHD just is overdiagnosed and it's not really a thing. I think it's just people that have a motor and you just need to learn how to meditate. But I, I think it's beyond that because I have tried, I've tried everything. 
I've tried like aromatherapy and I have tried chewing gum and I have tried setting a time every single day to study and I've tried doing it at night. I've tried doing it in the morning. I've tried doing it on coffee. Ironically, on coffee actually helps because um, for people that have ADHD, stimulants actually calm them down and that is because people that have ADHD are essentially what neurotypicals experience when they are tired. So when you're really tired, you have a lot of trouble concentrating. It's hard to focus on what you're reading, um, and you switch from task to task because you forget. And, um, so all of that is essentially what it's like having ADHD. Um, so when you stimulate a brain like that, then, um, they calm down because you're able to focus and pay attention. So caffeine does help. But anyway, so, um, my therapist was just like, I don't think, you have ADHD. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, you're the professional. Um, but the more that I have researched and that's why it pushed me to do all the research. Cause I was like, I really feel like this is it because I also thought that I had really bad anxiety. Um, but turns out it's just restlessness. That is, I'm not nervous about people or being in social situations. I'm an introvert, so I'm a little uncomfortable, but it's not like, it's not like I can't do it or I doubt myself or I'm worried something bad is going to happen. It's not any of that. It's just like, I want to be doing something all the time and I'm thinking about everything and I'm faster than a lot of people. Not like, let me race you, but like my brain moves a lot faster than other people. So it's really, it's really difficult for me to like, you know, really engage in like long, boring conversations. So, um, I, it would like, I guess give me anxiety, but I just felt restless a lot of the time and I thought it was anxiety. It's not, um, that's not the right way to describe it. Um, so, and I figured that out in being a psych major, learning more about, um, uh, psychopathologies, I guess. Um, but anyway, so I would always procrastinate, do my work the last minute. Again, please, 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 God, do not, do not sue me and do not come after me being like, oh my God, Jill's horrible. She took Adderall when she didn't have a prescription. Um, I was really just trying to cope and do the best that I could. Um, but you'll be happy to know on Wednesday, I'm officially getting tested so that I can get a prescription for it. Um, I'm not a pill popper or anything like that. I promise it is strictly just to be able to study. I like my brain. I like who I am. I want to be me and I really enjoy it for horse training because it helps me be quick. Um, but it, but the only area it's causing a problem is really being able to study everything else. I feel like I can work through with like being aware of it, like cutting people off. I really have to pay attention not to just like let things out of my mouth. Um, I explain it to my friends as like, there's like a conveyor belt, um, in my brain and the things that I shouldn't say are like blinking red, but they slip out before I can like really inhibit it. Um, that's another thing about being ADHD is impulsiveness, not just impulsive buying, but like saying things. I've always been very blunt for that reason, because sometimes I think it and it's out of my mouth before I've been able to stop it. Um, anyway, so blah, blah, blah. As he's saying, um, back to this quote, Dr. Potter, it's P-U-D-E-R. Um, they found it more difficult to procrastinate and get everything done last minute because of the weight of the material, which is what happened in my psycho farm class. I actually had to read the entire textbook for that class. And you can't do that the night before. It doesn't work. You have to space it out. And that's where I was really having problems. Because um, I'd never had to do that before, ever. <laughs> and because I always found a way around it. But I, concentrating on it was impossible. Um, I, oh my god, continuing his quote. I see this also in medical students at times they're, where they're very bright students and they were sort of able to put it off to the last minute in college. And then when the adrenaline picks up, people with ADHD can focus better. But when they get into medical school, the pure amount of information that they have to learn is so vast that they just can't do it anymore. So they run into issues. 
That's the thing that's confusing about the diagnosis at times is when people are emotionally engaged. When they are doing something, they're highly invested in, even if they have ADHD, they're able to focus. But if the demands are overly long or more mundane, that's when they run into the deficits imposed by the disorder in terms of ability to maintain sustained focus and attention. So in layman terms, what that means is like, I'm assuming there's something that happens in your brain when you get really engaged and you're really excited about something, some level of adrenaline, endorphins, dopamine, something that helps your brain be able to focus and engage better. But when that's absent, whereas for people that are not really interested in it, like I have a friend, my friend that I was talking about that just like can stare out the window and not be thinking about anything. She's in the same program that I'm in the clinical mental health counseling program, she has the amount of hours that she's read of chapters and um, maybe like one or two over. And she um, she doesn't have a problem. She She's not terribly interested in it because right now we're in like an ethics class and advanced human development. It's not the most interesting thing in the world. Um, and she's like, it's really boring, but you know, I'm not, she's like, I'm fine reading it. And I'm like, I physically can't like, and I've tried positive self-talk. I've been like, you've got this. I've tried meditating on it and being like, you're okay. You got this. And I know that it's positive self-talk and manifesting is very powerful, but for some reason, like, I just, I can't work past it, a problem like that or the way my brain is, I guess. I really don't like pathologizing it and making it a problem because I really don't think it is. It's just some things are more difficult for me than it is for other people, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm less than. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, that's, that's where I have issues with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing a diagnosis. I decided that I'm going against my therapist's wishes. I'm going to go ahead and get a second opinion and see, um, like if what they think and what they think the best course of action is. Um, you know, again, I'm not trying to, um, like get doped up or be on drugs all the time because I really appreciate my brain for what it is. And I love how fast things go because I couldn't imagine being able to stare out a window and not think about anything. I'm sure that's nice sometimes, but, um, that's not who I am. (laughs) So I'm pretty okay with it being all over the place. But uh, anyway, proceeding to answer the question, you asked me to talk about my ADHD and I'll talk about it all day long. Um, because it's just, it's such a, a big thing for me. Um, but I would really recommend listening to the, um, ADHD podcast. I'll pull it up now so I can, um, find the name of it to recommend. Um, it's the ADHD experts podcast. It's available on Spotify. That's where I listen to it. I don't know. It might be available other places, but I listen to it on Spotify. It's called ADHD experts podcast. A lot of wonderful, useful information talking about, boy-girl differences, how to deal with, like, romantic life, being in a marriage, blah, 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 because interrupting people, um, that was, oh my god, it was such a problem in my last relationship. I got in so much trouble for the amount of interrupting I did, um, and now I have a way to communicate that, not justify it. I still need to not interrupt people, but, um, uh, I have a way to be, like, if this happens, this is why, but I'm working on it, and it's not an excuse, it's just a reason, (laughs) um, So, yeah, you asked um, how to overcome this in writing. So I think the way that it might have manifested for me with writing is when I was younger, I used to just check out. Um, When I would be in a dressage test, I just, like, I would come out and my trainer would be like, well, what did you think? And I would be like, I don't remember the test. (laughs) What happened? Like, I wasn't there. Because I would just check out mentally. I would be thinking about so many other things because I couldn't concentrate. Um, As I got older, I feel like that was probably more due to, um, my brain development, (laughs) um, that I was able to, um, 
start to focus on it a lot more but I would have to like really engage myself with it I would be like okay what step is next what are we working on how's the horse's body feeling just like using it to my advantage of like I have so many tabs open all the time so let's think about all of these things at once so I stay engaged and I can't think about anything else um because I'm highly distractible like it's so bad (laughs) I'm sure you guys know from listening to this podcast um but um because it's all over the place all the time um but anyway I uh Yeah, I think it just, it comes with age a little bit as well. Um, But also different severities of ADHD and different presentations of it um, affect people differently. So I can't necessarily speak to how to help you specifically. I can only really come from my own experience. But um, it hasn't really, like, made a huge impact on my training other than me, like, just really having to focus on, um, like, making it something that I have to pay attention to. Um... Yeah, so it would struggles in being like I would have to have a little bit more specifics on um what the problems are specifically that the ADHD is causing, but I would assume it's distractibility and having a hard time paying attention to your trainer and what you're supposed to be doing. Um but uh yeah, I would recommend like trying to write a list after your lessons of things that you want to work on. And, um, then review them before your lesson, just to like, kind of reinforce your memory a little bit. You might have to, um, be a little bit more on that than most people. Um, but yeah, I hope that was somewhat helpful. It's mostly just me ranting about how I am with ADHD, but, um, yeah, some days it's worse than others. Um, sometimes you could get on meds if that's your thing, but I just, I really don't like meds in general, but, um, I... I'm having such a problem studying that I'm like, okay, well, might as well give this a shot. But I don't want to do it for, like, long-term, everyday kind of thing. You can tell my voice is going out because I can see that the wavelengths are getting a little bit shorter um, as I'm getting tired. But we're almost done. Almost done here. Um, Listener Abby asks, when I do up the girth, Ollie reaches around and nips at me only with his lips along with other signs of discomfort. I've palpated him a few times and he only reacted some of the time. When I do it, he is out 24-7 on a very nice pasture and he gets no grain. He's on a very low stress lifestyle during the summer of trail riding and simple hacks. I brought him up to my, I have brought it up to my parents and when I showed them, he didn't react or show any signs of ulcers. I don't know if I said that. Um, but she's was thinking he has ulcers, but he only reacts sometimes to being palpated. So the reason that that could be happening is because you could just be like pressing really hard and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Um, but he might not have ulcers. My first thought when I read this is that he might have back problems. Um, and it might be um, your saddle doesn't fit or it's pinching him somewhere. It's making him sore. He might need to see a chiropractor. Um, maybe he has kissing spine. <laughs> that is a fun thing that I'm dealing with right now um, because Zoe had the same issue. Um, okay, anyway. Uh, your parents have brushed you off many times. Uh, you want to get the vet out to give her opinion, but you can't afford it without parents' help. I'm in the same situation. That is so difficult. I hate that. Um, my parents have always been supportive, but it is difficult to ask for money. And especially if they're not super keen to help, that sucks. Um, okay. So my question is, does this sound like ulcers to you? And if so, what can I do? Um, so if he's got a very low stress lifestyle and all you do is trail ride and just kind of hang out, like it's probably, it could be, but it's probably not ulcers. What I would do is, um, Ooh, got a burp. Um, is, uh, have your parents, um, you know, just like talk to them and be like, like sit them down and be like, okay, 
I know I've brought this up to you a few times and um, I just I really want to try and convey how concerned I am. Um, I really think something is going on with Ollie. Um, he's trying to bite me and I he's not being bad. Something is bothering him because he's he's not like this. He doesn't bite. He's not a bad horse and he's not mischievous or just needs to be reprimanded. I don't think it's any of those things. He's trying to tell me something and I think something is bothering him. There's no other reason he would be reacting like that. So I'm wondering um, if it would be possible if we could, you know, try and problem solve and get him sorted out because I really want to be able to work with him. I love my horse and I enjoy riding him, but I don't want to do it if he's in pain. And if we can't get this sorted out, then I'm going to have to stop riding him. Is there any way that you guys would be willing to help me with this? Because I'm really worried about him and I want him to be happy and comfortable. You know, I mean, you can just explain it like that to them and, um, hopefully they'll come around. Um, and it would just be an, an issue of, um, you know, I think having your vet out, hopefully your vet can saddle fit. Oh my God, it's so difficult. Um, but if you had your vet out and were just like, I'm concerned about my horse, um, she is, or he is nipping me when I do up the girth and I'm, uh, concerned that either my saddle doesn't fit, something's going on with his back or that he has ulcers, um, help <laughs> test, do the things. Um, so that is how I would proceed finishing this email here. Um, I've been having another problem with him. Luckily, this one is probably an easier fix. When I was doing positive reinforcement, you said positive P, just saying it's positive R. <laughs> um, easy fix. Because um, positive P is positive punishment, and that is not the same thing. Um, with uh, He starts to paw and uh, being... Oh my god, let me start over. When I'm doing positive reinforcement with Ollie, he starts to paw and when he isn't being treated constantly, nor uh, I'm asking for anything. He also cuts me off when we are done and walks away. Um, side note, I would also like to add, I do most of the positive reinforcement in his field. I don't know if I can teach an NQ or how to go about it, but if you have any tips or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. Okay, so probably what you're doing, it, um, you're probably being a little confusing, a little unclear. Um, when the horses starts, when they start pawing, it's because they don't know what you're looking for. When you're not asking for anything, it can be really frustrating for the horses. So you have to make it clear when you're asking for duration. Like if you're teaching the horse to stand, you have to be really clear that you're increasing the seconds or you're waiting on the time. Because if you're not, the horse is like, wait, how do I get the treat? Like, you know, I'm, I'm standing here, I'm doing the behavior, look. And then if you don't reward for it and they, or if they don't know what to do, then they get frustrated. So in order to decrease the frustration, I would really recommend that you um, be very clear with um, what you're asking for both yourself and for him. Write it down. Write it out. Break out the behaviors you're going to want to um, work on. Break it down into piece by piece and be really consistent. If you notice he's getting frustrated, um, you, it's probably a sign that you're not being clear. So you need to make sure that... Um, like, don't, don't take it as a sign, like, oh, I suck, blah, 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 but just be like, okay, it's time to change something. I need to, I need to pay attention to this, take his advice, and uh, hurry up, fix something. Um, whether that's increasing your reinforcement rate uh, or lowering your criteria, sometimes that happens um, when we ask for too much too fast. Um, so just make sure you're being really clear and you're being fair in what you're asking and you're not asking too much of him. Um, but yeah, uh, beyond that... How to teach an NQ. My NQ is just leaving a pile of treats on the ground and then saying, all done. And then I walk away. 
and over time they learn that that is um, the end cue and then by that time the first couple of times you do it you might have to give enough to make sure that you can get out of sight um, so that the horses are still enjoying it and they're not like oh I did something to make the human go away they're just like no I'm chewing and they're leaving that's fine um, so hopefully that helps uh, last couple of questions here before my brain gives out because I'm starving to death um, listener Genevieve says my OTTB gelding prince is head shy I know he didn't like, or I knew he didn't like his ears being touched unless a fly mask, bridle, or halter was going on. But while I was trying to teach smile, he didn't like me touching his upper lip either. My best guess is he was ear twitched and lip twitched while at the track, and as he can have some, quote unquote, attitude, aka if he doesn't feel like doing something, he will tell you. Good horse. <laughs> um, once I clued into that, he was probably twitched before I took a step back. And would just give him treats while scratching his pole and then slowly worked up to touching his ear for even a second and then rewarding. Awesome. Good work. That's exactly what I did with Mac because Mac was the same way. Oh, my God. Could not touch his ears or his nose. He was mm -mm, not allowed. Um, we eventually worked up to where I could rub and hold his ear for a little bit before we pulled his ear away. Um, so quickly addressing that, you're probably waiting too long. You need to, um, like wait on the time and maybe not start by holding his ear just touching it like with your hand open and what can happen sometimes is um you know you could be waiting too long or asking for too much but at the same time sometimes and this is where intuition and being a good trainer comes in because it can you can easily mess it up but um if you ask the horse to touch his ear to your hand and then he moves away and he's like okay where's my treat and then you're like nope we're working on duration He'll probably go back and be like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. And like, he'll do it like super well. And that's how you start upping criteria. He'll be like, look, 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 I'm doing it. And then you click and treat for that. And then he'll start upping it each time. Um, but like, don't go too fast. Don't ask for too much. Don't get jealous. Or I mean, <laughs> and, oh my God, greedy. That's what I was trying to say. Um, so yeah. Okay. Anyway, moving on. That was not your question. Um, I let him do that as obviously I don't want to try and force him. And that would probably make him think I would twitch his ear. Good call. I tried to do the same process with his nose, and every time I even lifted my hand near his nose, he would look away from me. Okay, so this is um, common when you're switching from traditional training to positive reinforcement, is you're so used to doing things to the horse that, um, you know, <laughs> it can work against you. And most horses in our traditional world, like I said earlier in the podcast, is um, we teach them to move away from us. So if you raise a hand, the horse is like, oh, we're going the other way. I don't want to get hit or I don't want her to escalate, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what you want to do is um, the opposite. You want to train him to come to you. Um, with Mac and with Azula, um, both of them were head shy. Azula still is a little bit. We're still working on that because I've only had her for like two weeks. Um, but is letting them come to you. You don't want to impose yourself on them, um, especially if they, they have a history with it because you coming to them is like, oh, something bad's going to happen. So you want to give them the power and so that they're the ones initiating contact. So what I would do is I would stand like shoulder to shoulder with them and like maybe face away from him. Um, you know, not entirely like turn your shoulders like a little bit away and hold your hand out. And um, if he even like looks in the direction of your hand if he puts an ear like towards your hand you know how they like when they look at something they put their ear out and they're like what is that um if he does any of those things if he moves his head slightly even by accident in the direction of your hand click and treat and then gradually build up to where he is coming to your hand and then from there um it can be a little bit easier um you know to be able to touch them 
with Mac, I never really got to where I could, like, just reach up and touch his nose. He still was like, don't do that. Um, but I could touch his forehead and his cheeks and his face. Um, but I had to teach him to cheek target because he was so head shy when we first got him. We had to leave his halter on all the time because you could not touch his face. Um, so probably due to similar reasons. So with him, I taught him to bring his head to my hand. So you just have to break it down any small inkling that the horse is going to or is thinking about your hand at all you're going to click and treat and then you can gradually build up that's called shaping and it's um you have a goal behavior in mind and you're working up to it in successive approximations so you're taking really small steps that are like small pieces of the whole behavior so in order for him to swing his head around and place his nose in your hand he first has to look at it so you're going to reward for that um hope that makes sense and helps a little bit um yeah okay um so that's that for that question listener cassidy asks hi jill i know i've already sent in a question but i have another one about positive reinforcement um my question is when you train with positive reinforcement can you ever stop like when the horse understands the concept and whatsoever you are training it okay um after a while can you cue it and not treat question mark ever question mark um you can but uh, the behavior will probably, it might stop happening unless it's just like really conditioned that it's like an inherently good thing. Like the horse likes doing the behavior because it produces endorphins because it's been rewarded so much. Um, but I mean like the, the retaliation that I always have to this question, it's a fair question. Everybody wants to know if you have to stop and click and treat every time. But when you go to work, do you like to get paid every time or just sometimes, even if you know how to do the job really well and you continue to do it well every single day, do you want to get paid? You can't expect your horse to work for free, so we either have to reinforce using negative reinforcement or positive. Those are your two options. Um, there is, like, a small loophole. You can um, do behavior chains where you um, cue... Um, you could cue smile, and then after you cue that, you make it very clear that you're switching cues, and you could cue hip target or walk forward, stop, back up. But you have to be really clear with the cues because you don't want the horse to think that he's done the wrong thing. But when they do the right behavior, it's they're like, okay, I get to move on. And then you can click and treat and reward the whole behavior chain. But that is really advanced training. Um, I would really recommend doing Mosey Truitt's online course. You can go to my website, jetequithery.com. And on the resources page under positive reinforcement help, I have that course linked. Um, I believe it's called... Uh, liberated horse course it's by mosey truitt who does liberty horsemanship she's a little pistol annie on instagram um but i would really recommend doing that course because she explains it way better than i can in the three minutes that i'm talking about it um but she can teach you how to do it the course is 100 bucks awesome wonderful course so powerful for teaching um beginning positive reinforcement but anyway um yeah so i mean you can and, uh, like Georgia Bruce, um, she works with all of her horses and she does full length dressage tests, um, and then clicks and treat after, but she works up to it and gradually builds the behavior on behavior. So the horse knows the pattern and knows what's expected and then knows he's going to get a treat at the end. Um, but that's really advanced. And, um, so for me, I have not progressed to where I'm like super confident doing chains. I've done a few, but like, I, it's not really something I'm like, I must do this. Um, so, yeah, it's just, like, why? Like, is it a problem? I mean, like, I'm sorry, I'm being sassy, but I'm getting tired. But, like, 
it's not for me it's not a big deal to give my horse a reward for doing the right thing it makes sense i would want it i would do the same for my horse it helps her learn it keeps her engaged and her excited i would never expect her to work for free and the idea that like oh if your horse loves you enough they'll just do it is not <laughs> i'm sorry it's I hate to break the the fantasy but it's not a thing um behavior is driven um and if it's not being driven, then it stops. So if you're not rewarding, you could actually be punishing. Um, it all depends on the horse's perception. Obviously, it's not up to us to decide. But um, it is... It, you should just reinforce your horse. It's not that hard. Um, but, yeah, it's a fair question. It was something that I wondered at the beginning, too. But, okay. The last and final question here is from an anonymous listener. It is a very long um, but I feel like it's important to read a lot of it. Um, it's, it's just so long. So everybody buckle up. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then do what I can. Um, the <laughs> listener recommended that I not read the whole thing, but it's kind of hard not to like to understand why I would answer the way I'm going to answer is you need to know. So, um, they got their horse uh, when the horse was six. She is a fourth Pertron and three-fourths thoroughbred. She's a beautiful dapple gray mare. But um, the only fault she'd say is that she has a, uh, a small neck. I'm sorry. I don't know. We have a unisex name here. I don't know if you're male or female. Apologies if I'm using incorrect pronouns, but I'm going to proceed anyway. Um, assuming female, maybe not. But um, only, her only fault, I'd say, is she has a rather short neck, but that's besides the point. So when I got her, she was a mess to handle. She had no respect for personal space. She was very frightened, got attached to her herd, and couldn't easily handle going in her stall, grooming and tacking up with something. She never stopped walking around, would shove me and her between her door. She never really hurt me. I could easily push her off, but nonetheless, she shoved to pick out her hooves. I had to hold her, and she'd kick out at me when I did my back, or her back. Riding was pretty fun. She had a ton of energy in the power, or energy of a thoroughbred power of a purse run. She'd throw, throw a few bucks, but... Um, never sound that made me lose my balance. She's quite spooky, quite hot. Um, later, I learned that the previous owner had her at a relatively low price because she was scared, and I took pride in that. I feel that being able to ride a hot horse is a nice feeling um, until you're like, oh, wait, I don't want you to be hot. Um, I felt like she genuinely enjoyed working. She never made a fuss out of anything. She never refused unless it was scary. Um, then one day, the wretched day, she started to kick out when I put on pressure with my leg. I checked to see if there was something stuck under her paddle or... Oh, my God. Saddle pad for any discomfort, nothing. Uh, I had the saddle checked out, and they said it quit. It fit, but not quite. So naturally, I changed my saddle to the one that was also checked out by multiple people over the next few months, and they all said it fit. Good. Um, but that didn't stop her from kicking out. Vet said it wasn't ulcers. We got a chiropractor. She tried to kick him when he touched her stomach area. That would make me think it's ulcers. Or maybe a rib out or something. We got blood tests done that told us she had a selenium deficiency. So we got her on some selenium. Um, the chiro told us to give her some supplements, massage her for 30 minutes, four times a week. He said that now she had the memory of getting touched there. It hurt, so we had to get her used to the fact that it doesn't anymore. Um, and walk on a lunge line on the right rein for another 30 minutes because she had uneven shoulders. We've dealt with that with many of our horses. So I did that for a month in negative 30 degrees Celsius and hated that. Oh my god. Um, I was also able to do a lot of groundwork because I had nothing to do better and run with her and she'd run after me and I'd jump and she'd jump. I didn't have treats or anything. It felt so good. Then she started reacting to the massages. She stopped reacting to them, so I got on her. At first, I was being led around by my trainer, and he'd give her some massages while I was on her. 
Then I started to gradually use my leg and it was going really well. Then she started to kick out again, but only at my leg, never at the massages. We concluded that it was her way of telling us that she didn't want to work. That's possible, but it's also likely that um, your leg is poisoned, like the cue is poisoned. Um, and like I know that there has been some some discrepancy over that study, um, the poison cue study, because they only used one dog, but I don't know. It seemed pretty legit to me, but what do I know? Um, but that your leg has been a cue that's been conditioned to equal something bad, and it obviously is going to feel different with a leg pressure versus a hand pressure. So she could just have a bad association as possible. But I know this email gets much worse, so I'm going to continue. Um, uh, then she suddenly said, okay, blah, blah, blah. we concluded that was her way of telling us she didn't want to work because in the past she'd kick out, I'd stop writing and get off. So she understood that if she'd kick out, she didn't have to work. But I'm starting to doubt that a little bit now. Anywho, um, it took many months to get back to how we were before. It took some crying, some bucking, some kicking, and one rear. Um, I had to restart many times, but we finally got to jumping and having a good time. But no, she had lost all willingness to work. All she wanted to do was go see her friend. She'd stop running around with me in the arena or even just following me. Bucking became very scary, and she put her head between her legs and buck, buck, buck. I was proud of myself for staying on because they were vicious, and not a lot of people would be able to handle that. Um, despite that, I kept writing and ignoring the problem. <clears throat> I thought she was just being sassy and lazy. Fast forward to now, I can't get on her without somebody holding me, and um, all I can do is walk whilst being led by a trainer. So how did we get here? Well, COVID-19, my dear. Um, good rhyme, by the way. Um, so during winter, I put her on a diet because she was getting fat, like real fat. I had to put her in a smaller field with another horse, like my big barn, and the big herd with 27, blah, blah, blah. So she ate whenever she wanted. So during that time, I started to dive into positive reinforcement, doing a lot of groundwork, playing with her. It felt super good. And COVID happened, and I wasn't allowed to see her for a month and a half. When I got back, I was pretty scared. I normally rode her four days a week, and if I missed one of those days, I'd pay for it. She'd have a lot of energy, and I couldn't really do anything because um, she was uh, all bonkers. But now, I've missed, like, a lot of days. So the first day we played, same for the second. The third, I got on her, and we did some walk, trot, and canter. Even though I told myself I wouldn't canter, I couldn't help it. She was being so good. It went great. A few bucks, but nothing out of the ordinary. I do want to point out that bucking is out of the ordinary. I know it is not for this particular horse, but bucking is not a good thing or a normal thing or part of a horse's personality. It is is communications. I'm there trying to tell you something. And I know you've tried a lot of things, but um, I think further at this email, you're like, maybe it's kissing spine, uh, but we'll get there. But I just want to say, um, though this email is sort of normalizing it, uh, which is no fault to you, it is normal for you. Bucking is not normal, and um, it is not part of a horse's personality. It is always a communication. Horses are very peaceful, kind animals. They do not just buck for no reason. It's usually because they're really trying to communicate, communicate something. Okay, continuing here. Then the f dreaded fourth day, I was trotting about, and um, she felt these. She felt really tense and anxious and full of energy. She jumped in the air and then put her head between her. Oh my god, I can't read anymore. Um, put her head between her knees and started to buck. I was a dead woman right away. Oh, you are a female. Cool. Um, I lost my stirrups and my reins and my balance. She hopped and bucked and hopped and bucked. I called out to my mother for help, from help and then I fell between her. I'm a little bit dyslexic. I'm pulling words from the sentence below. I don't think that's dyslexia, but that helps happen. Oh my God. I'm dying. <laughs> it happens to me a lot. Okay. Called to my mother for help and then I fell between her and the wall landing right on my bottom and she stepped on the side of my knee. Oh my God. Ow, 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 ow. That sounds awful. Um, my mom filmed some of it, but managed to stop right before you could see me fall, and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't matter. Um, so, so I couldn't get back on. A few days passed. I healed, and I was ready for round two. That was what really traumatized me, so I... Oh, my God. 
Um, as I got on and literally three seconds later, she leapt into the air and bucked, but I stayed on. So thankfully, um, because if not, the wall wall would have have my imprinted on it for the rest of its life. Okay, it sounds like you got tired writing this email too, because we're both like not doing so well here. Um, okay, so she had never done that before. She'd only ever bucked when we were cantering, so that was scary. For the rest of my lesson, my coach walked me around the second day. She tried to do the same, but ah, my trainer wasn't holding her. The next two weeks were very slow. Um, we had no more incidents. I cantered half around. Yay. Um, then I changed Barnes. Oops. Um, this email is not even half over, guys. I'm so sorry. But I feel like it's important for to hear this experience and then what I have to say about it. Not knowing if I can outdo how long this is, but this is our last one. So hang in. The whole year, I had planned on staying at my uncle's farm. He breeds pretty high-quality warm bloods, and there was a very good coach there that would certainly make me and Fiona super good on top of that. Um, she'd have a nice big field to run in with five other horses, so obviously wasn't going to pass up that opportunity. So me and Fiona headed over there. I gave her some time to settle in because I didn't want to stress her out too much. Played with her, did some positive reinforcement. Always good until the day I had to get on her. I told the new trainer about our history, so she was holding on Fiona. I... Uh, put my foot in the stirrup and Fiona leapt away and started to buck away. Um, hello, since when do you do that, foo-foo? <laughs> um, so since then, we kind of, like, been breaking her all over again. Like, I've been leaning on her back, putting my foot in the stirrup, putting weight on it. So I got on her yesterday. All we did was walk, so that's where I'm at. Now here are a few more details. She's never put her ears back when I am tacking up and grooming. She's never put her ears back when I ride, like, not even when she's doing all those bucking rounds. She has always stepped away from that and block. I even think she's scared of it. She's not fond of petting, so, um, she's, like, she's never pinned her ears, but she, like, walks away sometimes. She is known as a stressed-out horse. I feel like when I ride and simply walk, um, around, um, she does swish her tail when I ride. She bucks and bolts, only reared ones. She's very high-headed when I ride, which is why I was excited to move and get a trainer to help me correct that. Um, and I, also, I don't like saying this, but she's just really dumb. Like, you know how you can do those IQ tests on your horse, like put a carrot under a bucket and they figure out they can knock the bucket over and eat the carrot, then they're smart. Yeah, she's never passed any test. Um, okay, uh, I have thoughts, but I'll continue. I can only ask so much at a time or else she gets frustrated, which is fine, but she can't really take a lot. She's scared of the stupidest things, like she won't drink out of a water bucket after doing a full cross-country course because it's scary. Um, the water has to be filled up at a certain level so that she doesn't have to stick her nose in it too far. Um, I mean, but before she wouldn't drink out of it no matter what. So I'm proud of her. A lot of people find her dumb. Some that have just met her five minutes ago and have no idea of her history. But I love her so much. Even her acorn-sized brain because she really does try sometimes. It feels like, and if the weather is nice. <laughs> um, okay, so um, first I want to address some of those things. And then I'm going to continue the email. There's not much left. Um, but it's okay first of all your horse is not stupid <laughs> I, I don't think that is a thing um I don't the IQ test is just arbitrary like the reason horses would pass that is if they are ones that have had success doing things like that in the past um like horses don't come knowing how to knock over a bucket to get a carrot out from under it that's just arbitrary and I um, would venture to say, I have not looked for myself, but I don't think, um, there have any, been any studies done on it to show whether a horse is more intelligent or not, if they can do that. Um, also there would be no way to really test that because, um, the confounding variable would be horses that have been successful doing that before. Um, so that's not a, that's not an accurate test of intelligence. I would not, um, count that. Um, also, um, you're not able to ask for too much at a time or else she gets frustrated. 
yeah, <laughs> that's how most horses are. Um, I don't know if like other horses you've experienced have been really like just chill or in learned helplessness, but most horses, if you ask a lot of different things at once, they get stressed. It's always the same way. If I put my leg on, pull my rein, ask her to move sideways and um, stretch up, uh, slow my posting. Like if I do all of those things at once, she gets really stressed out. It's a lot. I'm asking a lot of things and she doesn't speak my language. She doesn't know what I'm asking, especially during training. You're doing all these new things and the horse is just expected to understand. Like there's so much going, like it, it doesn't mean your horse is stupid. Um, and I hate that that idea got put in your head or that you have decided that that is the explanation. It doesn't mean you know, you don't know what you're talking about or anything. I mean, you know your horse better than anyone, but I would never label a horse as stupid because then you're just stuck. Like, what are you going to do? You can't train stupid. You can't fix it. Um, so like if you're just cool labeling your horse stupid, fine, but you're not going to be able to fix it. But if you think your horse is an intelligent, kind, willing being that wants to learn and, um, is capable of learning, then you have a lot of places to go. So I would really encourage you to change your mindset on that. Um, and um, thinking that she's stupid because she gets frustrated if she if you're asking a lot of her is not really fair. And it's also really not fair if um, there's a bunch of new things changing and then she's scared of them. She's a prey animal. That's what they're they're designed to be wary and anxious of new things so that they don't get eaten. Um, and some horses are more timid than others. And that's OK. It's always the same way. She's finicky about stuff and is weird and um you're doing a great job by you know encouraging her working it out to where you have to put half water in um because she's uncomfortable sticking her whole nose in that you're being a good trainer but like think about it in that way rather than being like oh she's so dumb um and i mean it sucks that people are like oh my god look how stupid your horse is like that's just who like no <laughs> it's just that's frustrating to me um and you love her she's your horse she's not stupid she's just being a horse. She's being a prey animal. And, um, all of the things you're saying, like she's never put her ears back while you're grooming or tacking up. Um, but she's always stepped away from the mounting block and she's stepped away from petting. The petting stepping away is usually a sign of ulcers. Um, so it might just be worth like just, you know, testing her, like getting her scoped to see. Um, because even if the palpating doesn't work, sometimes they can still have it. Or it could be a hindgut ulcer. Those are also, um, a little bit trickier to diagnose. So, um, you would have to ask specifically for that, but that does cause a lot of behaviors like bucking. Um, um, and she's known as a stressed out horse. It sounds like she's just not confident. Like you're saying, like she's scared of new things. Like positive reinforcement really helps with that. Um, and um, helping horses get confident with new things. I know a lot of different trainers, I think in connection training, they really focus on having the horses target things that they're afraid of. Um, so if a horse, like if you're walking past a trash can and they're spooking at it and you say touch, then the horse is like, oh, I can do this. My human asked me to touch things that are fine. You know, they have a confidence in your history with them. They know something good is going to happen after. And sometimes that just can dissipate their fear if they've had that learning history. And then they're cool to touch it and then they're confident. Um, so you can help her a lot with things like that. Um, stepping away from the mounting block and all this bucking is, um, it's really indicative that something is wrong. Um, it's not your horse being stupid or sassy or a hot mare. Um, she is all of those things because something is wrong. I'm a firm believer horses do not behave quote unquote badly or exhibit these behaviors unless something is wrong. Um, 
I'm kissing spine. <laughs> like, I, I would really, really um, have her scoped, see if she has foregut or hindgut ulcers, um, have her back x-rayed, see if um, she has kissing spine. I mean, that could be a huge problem. And, I mean, that's what it was for Zoe. Just she could never relax. And I know when we got her hawks done, my vet was – and I, he had me get on her. He was like, she just looks like she's going to buck the whole time. And um, my boss was standing next to him, and she was like, no, she's that's just how she goes. And we didn't realize it's because she has kissing spine. Um, so, anyway, continuing your message here. So, I guess what I'd like here is your opinion. Do you think she's just a bad horse that's gotten away with bad behaviors for so long, so now she's just testing how far she could go? Or do you think there's something physically wrong? I think she's physically wrong. Horses are not vindictive. They do not try to usurp us. They do not try to get the best of us. They do not try to see how bad they can be. That's not how they are. That is not a horse. That's just not how they act. It's just all about reinforcement history, associations, and everything that they have been through, their experiences. That is what informs them. And if everything has been bad, they're only going to get worse. Because what has happened is you and your trainer have tried very patiently to work through these issues with training. But I don't think it's a training issue. Everything that you've listed, everything that you've said does not sound like training. It sounds like she is having a physical problem. And I would seriously have her evaluated from top to bottom to see what the problem is. Because it could be a combination of things. But a horse that is bucking that much and is seriously hurting you and is exhibiting serious pain herself, like, you're, you're both asking for more problems than you need, and I'm so glad that you love your horse, and you stuck with her, I mean, that is a huge deal, most people would have just sold her, but, um, be prepared to, um, try and solve her issue, and make her not a hot horse, I know that, um, for me with Zoe, like, I mean, Zoe is, by all accounts, a hot mare, and still is, um, (laughs) to some degree because I haven't been able to fix everything under saddle um because she has kissing spine I have to work through that now but um you you can't you be prepared to let go of that because I know it's like an ego trip to be like oh my horse is so difficult to ride oh my god like look how awesome we are um but be ready to let go of that and have a horse that is easy to ride if you fix her problems that's what you want is a horse that's easy to ride it's not cool to have a horse that is difficult and is telling you that something is wrong with them it's not every time I see a video of a horse like bucking or throwing its head around or being quote-unquote bad online it hurts my heart because I'm like the horse is trying to communicate something and the people that are commenting like oh this is just who she is oh my god all the haters need to stop I'm like oh dear good luck your horse is suffering and you're not doing anything about it and it sounds like you've really tried you've really tried to train it out but I think it's it's a physical problem and you can't train away pain and again I can't reiterate it enough horses do not buck for no reason okay anyway um we're getting test results next week to see if she still has the selenium deficiency um and then we're gonna check to see if she has ulcers awesome um I would go ahead and do that she probably has ulcers um because, I mean, that amount of stress on a horse, like, there's no way she doesn't. Um, I am on one hand wishing she does have ulcers so we can treat her for it and get back to doing our thing. Totally, totally relate to that sentiment. That is how I felt with Zoe and Kissing Spine. I was like, I almost hope she does have it. Not because I, like, want my horse to be in pain, but so I can have an issue to fix. Um, but the other hand, I'm afraid if it's a behavioral issue that I don't, um, so that I don't have to live with the fact that I've caused her pain. Okay, yeah, and here's the thing. I know that I'm, like, getting to the end of the podcast and I'm a little bit tired, and that's probably why I'm coming across, I can tell I'm coming across sassy, but it's just I get really passionate about this because people argue with me all the time that they're like, oh, my horse is just sassy, she's just hot, and I'm not in any way, in any way trying to shame you or make you feel bad or, like, you've done something to her. The thing is, you, 
you don't know. Like, you can't know until you find out or until you think of it. Like, with me and Zoe, I didn't even think about kissing spine. I've been riding this horse for six years, having near the same problem for, like, four of those years. And didn't know. And had no idea because I hadn't thought of kissing spine. My vets, my trainers, and myself, we all failed her because nobody thought of it. And then we checked it out, and it's like, oh, okay. And now we have somewhere to go. So don't feel bad if you do find an issue. Don't feel bad. Like, I mean, you can feel bad if you want to, but, like... You can't blame yourself for not knowing something, you know? You can't know until you know. So, um, so don't feel awful, and um, I'm not trying to contribute to that in any way. I'm just, like, I, I'm more so fighting against the that somebody's put into your head that your horse is stupid and that she's trying to get the better of you and that, you know, if you let her get away with things, she's just going to get worse. Like, it's all communication. If you're kind to your horse they will be kind back. And the where that gets complicated is if there is either miscommunication, fear, or pain. And it is our job to help our horses with all of those things. And that is what you're trying to do. Okay, continuing. I mean, there's uh, just a thought sitting in my head that she's had ulcers ever since she became mine. And with all these messages and everything that we got her um, uh, used to the pain, and she's just been in pain for the past four years. You have also put the idea of kissing spine in my head, so that might also be that and a million other things. I just can't live with the fact that she is unhappy to work. I also don't think she trusts me anymore or ever did. It sounds like this horse definitely trusted you. I mean, like, she was running around and playing with you and jumping and having fun. She enjoys your company. And so, I mean, don't, like, try not to be too cynical about it. I know it's hard when you're like, oh, my God, I've completely failed. But try not to be too hard on yourself because you're still trying to figure it out. You're not just saying she's a bad horse and she bucks and yeehaw you know, you're trying to figure out the issues. So be proud of yourself for that. Cause that's not an easy thing to do or to reach out and ask for help. That is also not an easy thing to do at all, especially putting this much effort into it. This is the, my jaw hurts. This is the much effort I've ever put into reading, but I think it's, it's a valuable story. Um, so anyway, yeah, I would get her tested for a kissing spine. I would just check her out head to toe and be like, okay, see what's wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. So the people I am now with on my uncle's farm are great. The trainer says that she just isn't supposed to act like putting my safety at risk, even if she is in pain. Says who? Is there a horsey rule book that when they're born, they're like, okay, even if you're hurting, you can't put your horse in pain. Like, who who told them that? That's not a thing. Um, I, I know when I rode with Jim Wofford, he said the same thing. He was like, even if your horse doesn't, um, you know, isn't straight to the jump or you didn't set them up correctly, he still must jump. Um, and though I respect Jim Wofford, um, I disagree. <laughs> why does he have to jump? Says who? What's in it for him? If I didn't do my job, why should the horse have to suffer? Like, I deserve to be in the dirt if I did not ride the horse correctly, you know? Like, it says who? Um, so your trainer, like, obviously she's trying to prevent you from getting hurt by creating a safe horse. I understand. But it's not your horse's job to keep you safe. It's your job to create a relationship in an environment where your horse would never put you in danger. Does that make sense? I hope. Um, I agree if she just started feeling the pain not so long ago. But if she's been in pain since God knows when, then I'm not surprised she's doing what she's doing. Exactly. Um, and it sounds like it's getting worse and more dangerous because now she's moving away from the mounting block. She's bucking you off right when you get on. Like, that is a high sign that she feels like she's not being listened to and she has to get louder. Um, because horses horses try to communicate quietly first and then they get louder like you said she's tail swishing under saddle that is probably a precursor to bucks if i had to assume and zoe i was just lucky enough that she never was really a bucker she did rear a lot and she also did this really fun thing where she would like we would be like trotting or cantering she only did this i think twice ever and it's terrifying um 
but she would be trotting or cantering along and she would like with that momentum rear up like straight up rear up and then launch like a rocket straight up in the air and then pop her back and she would buck in midair and oh my god it was horrifying i swear to god we were like four feet up in the air i mean she would just use her momentum and then just launch as high as she could and then buck so hard oh my god i like and she she um there was one time she would not stop doing it like she reared and then she bucked and then she reared and she bucked and every time she hit the ground she went straight back up and i remember i was riding and my trainer was laughing her ass off because i guess it looked funny and zoe was just doing all these yeehaws and then all of a sudden i heard my trainer go quiet and i had lost both of my stirrups and she was like oh shit jill's about to fall off like this is not ending well it's not ending at all and she just kept bucking and she got bigger and more vicious with all of them and i'm lucky she stopped otherwise i would have probably gotten seriously hurt because it was scary like it they were huge and like oh god awful anyway um yeah so not fun and it gets worse when you don't listen to them um so yeah i'm getting my i'm continuing what she's saying um i'm getting my vet in on this don't worry but i'd really like to hear your opinion on what it can be maybe enlighten me on a condition that um she could have that i don't know of yet so far i've all i've heard is it's a behavioral issue people haven't scra- scratched out the possibility of pain though they're just saying she's also bad I hate that so much. I just want to strangle people. That's not how it works. Horses are not bad animals. Like, why? Who said that? Like, who? People who don't know how to train horses or who say that. <laughs> Sorry. It's it's just, it's so frustrating. Like, if you just label horses bad, you're just, first of all, you, you're you done. The horse is just bad. Like, what are you going to do? Where do you go from there? If you've labeled the horse as a bad horse or a hot horse or a horse who can't do this or is stupid or is whatever, like, you can't fix that. That's just who they are. And beyond that, it gives you permission to be awful. It, it gives, saying that horses are bad gives you permission to hurt them. If you think a horse is a super good, awesome, sentient, wonderful, lovely being, you're less likely to hurt them. But if you think the horse is being bad, or they're trying to usurp you, or they're being disobedient, you're gonna use punishment, because that's how humans work. That's how we're socialized, that's how we're trained. And especially in the horse world, if the horse is disrespecting you, you better correct it. Or it's the, you know, so like, it's just frustrating because um, it's on the internet or Equitation Science International website where they talk about dominance theory and stuff and like using dominance, that whole paradigm. A, it's a myth, by the way. B, it, it j- it's a it's a way for us to get give ourselves permission to hurt our animals because if you're the dominant one, then you can chase them with lead ropes, you can chase them with whips, you can hit them, and you can spur them, and you can do all of these things to them because you need to assert your dominance and they need to stop whatever they're doing that doesn't please you, and it, it's bad training, frankly, and um, it it's just not working with the animal. You're making it a slave and you're trying to tell it that it has to behave this certain way or else, and that's not how I want to work with my animals anymore. I'm not saying I'm innocent. I've done this. And to some degree, I still slip up and accidentally revert to that and do it. I'm not a saint. But it is so frustrating for me now to hear like that just like the horses are bad. Like that is not it's it's all rooted in the socialization in the horse world that they must respect us and then the horse is bad and then uh uh-oh the bad horse is acting up and now I must correct him and it is never kind ever when you think a horse is bad and it's trying to you know get the better of you it's never a kind correction it's never like oh well maybe I should train him what to do instead using positive reinforcement it's not it's 
okay, well, I'm going to make him move his feet in a circle and I'm going to whip him and show him who's boss and then he'll respect me and then we'll have a bond and the horse will like me. Do you really think so? Does that, does that track? Because it doesn't for me. So, and I'm not necessarily talking to you, listener, who wrote in, but just like, that is just such a frustrating paradigm to live in. And I'm sorry that people around you are also saying that your horse is also bad. Because I think the way that you write this, you don't actually think that she is a bad horse. I think, you know, it's easier to be like, well, maybe she's less intelligent then. You know, she's not being bad on purpose. It's just because she's not intelligent. But I don't think either of those things are true. I think she's just trying to communicate. And your trainers haven't listened to her um, for either lack of education, lack of understanding, or the paradigm that they live in, you know, that she's just a bad horse. And for you, you know, you're just kind of subject to all of that. And now you're taking the initiative to reach out to people like me who think a little bit differently. Not that I'm like the epitome and all be all of horse knowledge, but you're reaching out, you're asking different people, what do you think of this? Where can I look to research? Blah, blah, blah. Also, I have lots of resources on my website that you can look at. Um, genicwithhearing.com slash resources. Um, but yeah, so last bit of this email. Let me read it and then we can end for the day. She's 10 now and I'd like her to be pain-free and able to enjoy work again and not be tense or anxious about anything. I agree. That's what we all want. Um, I only want the best for her. She's amazing and blows my mind every day, sometimes by being really good, other times amazing me with new ways to be a demon. Uh, I love you and everything you talk about. Uh, you will lead many to you with a horse... Oh. What with you to a horse world where humans and horses live peacefully together. I'm hoping that you will be one of those people also. Because you and your horse deserve it. You guys deserve to have good rides and be calm and both everybody feel safe and nothing be anxious or stressful for either of you. You can both have relaxed, calm rides, but if the horse is in pain for any reason, it's not going to work. You cannot train it out and no amount of labeling the horse as stupid or bad is going to change it either. So I would recommend going the route where you can change something, was, which is listening to the horse, respecting what the horse is saying, um, and, you know, listening to them. Because respect is earned, not taken. Horses, quote-unquote, respect us. And by respect, I mean trust. Trust us a lot more if um, we listen to them. If they say, hey, that's, that hurts, that feels wrong, I don't like that. Um, and you listen to it and you back off, the horse is like, oh my God, I don't have to scream. And then they start communicating subtly and you have to pay attention to it. And when you pay attention to it, the horse is like, oh my God, I can tell my human anything. This doesn't feel good. I can't do that. Cool. Like with Zoe now, um, if I cue her to do something, I know she's going to do it. And if she doesn't, like if I, if I go to put the saddle in, she knows to stand, even if we're at liberty in her field, she'll stand and she'll hang out while I tack her up. But if she pins her ears or she moves away, then I know something is wrong. She's trying to tell me something hurts because she's so good at it. She stands and she knows what is expected because she's been reinforced and she is normally very happy to do it. So if she doesn't want to do it, then it's a clear sign to me that something is wrong. And that is the difference in having a clear communication system with your horse where you actually respect them, not this weird dogmatic view where you're just like, nah, the horse must respect me, blah, blah, blah. Because newsflash, respect is earned, not taken. You can't just take it from your horse and be like, you will respect me now. When was the last time you ever had somebody who was super authoritarian over you, be it a, a family member or a boss, and they're just like, 
berating you all the time. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And the only time that you ever feel like you've done anything right is when they release you or they stop messing with you or they leave you alone. Your relationship is not going to be a very good one. You know, you're not going to enjoy being around that person because you're always waiting on them to leave and waiting on them to stop whatever they're doing. The reward should not be stopping work. It should be keeping on because they enjoy the work. There's a completely different paradigm that I exist in now because of positive reinforcement training. And I am so sorry. I am preachy right now. I did not realize this was all in here today. But apparently I needed to give it out, get it out because to people like this listener, I doubt anybody has ever said any of these things or put it in this way because everybody around her is telling her that a horse is bad and that it's stupid and that it's trying to get the better of her and that it's bucking because it's bad. Not because it hurts. And I'm so proud of you, listener, for being like, eh, no, nah, I think something's going on. I would rather believe that something is going on than she's bad. And it's because that is usually the case. So I would encourage you to keep looking. There could be any number of things wrong. I mean, and that's the frustrating part about horses is they can't tell us. But she's trying to tell you. She's at least giving you the indication that something is wrong. So um, I watched a video the other day of like this guy was talking about uh, this mare had an upside down ovary. It was twisted and it was hurting her. And then he twisted it back and then she was totally fine. I'm like, what? What on earth? How can there? How? There's so many different things. How do you even know if an ovary is a problem, you know, or an ovarian cyst? Like there's so many different things. Like some horses, when they cycle, they have cysts on their ovaries that hurt. And then they, they buck or they get tight in their back or they have kissing spine or they have hawk issues or they're ulcery. At least you know that it is a riding problem. So there's something going on with all the things entailed in that. So I would just really pursue like a back gut internal issue, anything that gets touched while you're riding or that she has to use while she's riding, that sort of thing. But anyway, it has been two and a half hours, guys. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I hope that that was somewhat beneficial to you guys. I'm sorry I got a little bit aggressive there at the end. Again, I don't want to shame anybody or make anybody feel stupid or like I think you're less than. I think we're all on a journey. Um, I'm no different. I am still ignorant to many, many things. And um, just because I believe this now doesn't mean that it may be wrong later. But I'm pretty confident in what I believe now. And it is based in science and it is based in fact, not in what people tell me about horses and anthropomorphizing them, which for the layman means making them humans. And because horses have no concept of respect, it is not a thing. Like, it's not, it's not. And dominance theory, disproven. It was disproven, debunked as a myth. I'll repeat it again. You are not a leader. You are not the alpha. You are not a horse. Horses will never see you that way. Do not use that language. It's ignorant. It just means that you, like every time I hear somebody, like I was in a course recently and the instructor was talking about, um, like, the horse dominant personalities and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you just haven't done research. Like, all that says to me is, like, you haven't looked up if that's a thing. All you have to do is Google dominance theory myth or dominance theory disproven um, or does dominance theory exist or literature on dominance theory in dogs. Like, it's all disproven. So, yeah, it's just an excuse, I think, to... Um, you know, use harsher training methods because they're easier, frankly. Um, it doesn't take as much brain power. It doesn't put as much responsibility on you, you know, as a trainer, because how often, um, in riding when the horse is acting up, does the trainer go, Hey, you need to fix your riding. No, they're like, the horse is being bad. You need to get on, rip his face off. Um, tell him who's boss, show him you're the leader. He's acting up. It's always that it's never like, 
Maybe you're being confusing. Maybe you're not being clear. Maybe the horse doesn't understand. Rarely is it that. So, I mean, it's just, it's a different paradigm we all live in and we have to recognize where that is impacting the training. But anyway, I'm going to end it there because I think I am about all talked out (laughs) and I'm going to finish my homework and get some Taco Bell or Zaxby's or something. But I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I hope it meant something to you, um, or was productive in any way, a good use of your time. Sorry, I got a little hot under the collar there. That was a lot. (laughs) Um, and I'm exhausted now. But anyway, you can follow the podcast on Jet Real Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. That way you'll be updated every time I post. I post episodes every Tuesday. I'm also shooting to post episodes on Fridays now. We'll see how long that lasts or if I can keep it up. But it would be nice because I'm poor. Um, so, and I have impulse buying because of the ADHD, but anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast and I hope it was worth your time. Thank you so much for listening and, um, I will definitely be seeing you guys, um, next time I post. So thank you for listening. Have a good week. Please treat your horses with compassion and treat yourself with compassion. You both deserve it. I'm stealing Kirk Honda's ending line because he says, uh, be nice to yourself or you deserve it or something like that. So, you know, be nice to yourself because you deserve it. I can say it too. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening, guys. Have a good one.